It is Sunday, May 6, 2016. My name's Anthony, and I'm here with Michael, and this is Time Lapse, the podcast where cars and watches are the focus, but tangents are often the reality. Let's get into it. Good morning. So uh, a little bit of an awkward scenario today. We got three people and two mics, so you're yeah. gonna hear a lot so of me and Mikey. Uh, you this know, is this is reminiscent. Cheeks. This is reminiscent of our first podcast days. It, it is, yeah, with all the struggle uh, for setup. But uh, so gonna be a little bit awkward. But we're very happy to have a uh, a guest speaker, or guest host on today. First time in time lapse history. There you go. Time lapse established in uh, 2017. This is this is a, a marking day. It is. It is a momentum. Our, uh, momentum. Momentum. Moment. Moment. Momentous. Momentous. There you go. He's already you. whispering he's already, in views. He's already. He's already working. He's already earning his dime. We're not paying him. Um, but let's introduce um, him. Uh, yes. It's our friend Eric. We've talked about him before. Of course. The, yeah. the challenger guy. Both car and watch guy. Yeah. yeah. We sent that little teaser in on Instagram. If you guys saw it. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, let's have him on. Let's. In. Uh, let's get. Let, him in let, let's have him walk down. Eric. Eric, let the people know who you are. Oh, guys, thank you for having me. Yeah, yeah, put on your headphones. You'll need yeah. those. Hey, did you guys cut it out? No, no, no. no we're, we're, still, we're still running. Okay, well, you know what? You guys can give me a little more of a heads up. You, you know what? Yeah, thank you guys for having me. You're going to want to kiss that mic. Okay. I'm gonna Really smooch it. Really smooch it. Is this there. good? Is this better? Yeah. Is that, that good? good? Too, so, too much? Too little? No, that that is perfect. You are perfect. Me and Mike, you're going to be the awkward sounding ones because we're... We're like, <laughs> we're, to- we're both talking into one mic, and uh, here, I guess it sounds normal right now. The things you Yeah, the, the, the thing great. is, is you're going to hear a lot of chair rattling, chair rattling. Uh, mic moving, because uh, I screwed up. It's okay. But, you know, it'll be fixed for next time. It'll be fixed. So, um, before we get into all the stuff we're going to talk about today, so a lot of car and watch content, of course, we're going to want Eric's opinion on stuff. Uh, I did want to tell you guys about two hilarious things that happened to me. Actually, one's not so hilarious. Um, but as of recently, I have spoken to both you guys about the SKX, which is jumping ahead about seven minutes at night. It all stemmed from an incident. I dropped it from about nipple height down to the floor. It fell face first. So ever since that date, I noticed at night it would jump ahead seven minutes. I tried to bring it into Canada or Seiko Canada, which is Odyssey time in, in North York to uh, get it fixed under warranty because I had my one-year international warranty card. However, because I didn't buy it from a Seiko AD, that warranty card is void. It's just a piece of paper. So that was kind of shitty. But uh, I ended up going on online. I found a guy in Toronto who's a really good watch like repair guy. He has great reviews on Yelp, and a lot of people are talking about like their Universal Genevs that they bring to him, their old Omegas and Rolexes, and he's repaired them. Gave him a call interesting fellow. I think he's an older Jewish man. Uh, and he, uh, when I called him, no, I, it, it, I'm serious. You have to know this because you have to understand the kind of person I was on the phone with. Um, I, when I called him, I was like, hi, I'm looking to get my watch repaired. And he's like, yes, you know, not very, not very into the whole customer service uh, aspect of it. And I said, so what, uh, you know, it's jumping ahead seven minutes or so every night. And he said, oh, your hairspring is, uh, is loose. Yeah. I, I can fix that for you. And he then, uh, then, then obviously I had questions, right? He seemed very confident. Um, but I had questions. I said, how, well, how do I, how do I get my watch to you? And he said, oh, come, come by my apartment, uh, anytime between, 
nine and seven o'clock. Wait, does he have a shop or he works out of his? He works out. Of, I think he works out of his apartment. Oh wow, downtown. Okay, something. Tri- I think fifty-five. Tri- you know, I'm not going to say the name of the the road. Yeah, I don't want to. Don't want anyone going to this guy's house. Not that we have, uh, you know, a cult following or anything. But unless you have a watch to be fixed, that exactly. Course. You don't want to contact this this geriatric Jewish man. So, either way, don't worry. He's not going to hear this podcast. And I'm going to use him. I'm going to pay him money to fix my my watch, believe me. Because uh, he sounds like a very knowledgeable guy. And as far as the Yelp reviews go, uh, there's high praise for him. So, Mike, are you really enjoying that freezy? It like sounds really crunchy. You're having a God. blast over there. It's like the tiniest freezy I've ever seen. Um, so, anyway, that's uh, I'm going to try and get the SKX repaired by this guy. Uh, he sounds like he knows what he's talking about. So, hopefully, he takes care of it. Um, so that was the the first thing, right? Obviously, not being able to go through warranty and knowing, having an idea of what went wrong with the SKX when I dropped it, the hairspring being out. Um, that's the the first story I want to share with you guys. And the other one, something I posted on our story yesterday, I had my full M test, which in Canada, for, for our listeners who don't know, when you um, get your motorcycle license, it's a three-stage license. First one is like a written test, which is your learner's permit, M1. Then it's uh, an actual, like... Um, a more fuller license is the M2 allows you to drive around on your own. Uh, and then the final, uh, license is the full M and that's the test I went for. I took the Vespa, which, uh, they said was okay, but a lot of people did not think was a good idea and it wasn't a good idea. <laughs> uh, on the way to the test seven thirty in the morning, I was driving and noticed my signal stopped working. Oh, this is good. This is good. <laughs> and is good. Uh, sorry, I had to. I had to abuse Mikey there. He kept uh, making funny faces at I me. I didn't see anything. But um, so on the way to the test, I noticed the turn signal stopped working. Uh, I pulled into number seven Honda, which conveniently my workplace was on the way to the test. Shout out. And uh, and uh, sure enough, my actual tail of my turn signal assembly had fallen out of the fender. I was driving around with. The assembly dangling by a cord from the Vespa fender. So I had fixed this problem already once. I knew exactly what nuts I needed. So I got the nuts from uh, from the the shop, which thank God was open. Repaired the uh, the tail light assembly right there. Drove to the t- uh, drove to the course. Did a couple of runs. My brake light stopped working, so we had to mend that with some <laughs> tools the guys had. Thank God they had tools. Then midway through the day, I noticed that with the clutch in and the Vespa in gear, it kept creeping forward. Not supposed to happen when the clutch is in, right? Mm-hmm. Clutch would disengage power from save the engine the of the wheels. Yeah, save the manuals. Uh, it was because all of the rigorous testing we were doing had an, had stretched the clutch cable. So when I pulled the clutch in, it wasn't fully engaging. Now you can't do your test with a disengage because you're just going to keep stalling every time you yeah. you try to to move off from a start. So we, I was underneath the Vespa with one of the instructors, a, a French Canadian guy, solid guy named Mario. He rides a, a, a BMW, a, or sorry, a, a Triumph Tiger adventure bike. Really cool. It was actually a really cool bike. Nice. Um, and we were on the ground adjusting this clutch cable. The, the crazy thing about it is that everyone else had perfectly functioning bikes. There were a couple of like cruisers there, Suzuki Boulevards, uh, one, one guy who, a really nice young guy, he had a... Uh, Suzuki SV, which is like a sport touring bike. Super Veloce. Yes, sort of. It's a Japanese version of Super Veloce, I guess. And uh, another guy had an Aprilia, uh, a naked uh, Aprilia bike. Beautiful bikes. Nice. And here I am. I already look like an idiot because I'm on a Vespa. And to boot, it's not even a Vespa that works properly. 
So I'm underneath wrenching on this thing. Eventually, I think during the during the test itself, I think they just took pity on me because my brake light stopped working again, and that <laughs> should have been an immediate fail. But I passed, and uh, it was a great experience, and I'm just happy now that I'll never have to go through another test. So congratulations, thank you, Eric. I really appreciate that, Mikey. Do you have something to say to me? Radio silence, eh? That's a little uh, awkward. I need to grab the mic here. <laughs> congratulations, Anthony. Thank you. I'm proud. You know, we've said it before. I've taught Anthony how to ride a motorcycle. And as his motorcycle father figure, I am proud. Congratulations. Thank you, Michael. That was heartfelt and also false. Very. But it's okay. Uh, we, uh, Yeah, no, I'm, I'm happy it's done. And uh, I'm excited to get the cafe racer out on the road. I think the Vespa, after the insurance goes out in July... I don't think I'm going to reinsure it. I think it's just going to retire it for now. Yeah. Bring it up to the cottage. Let it, let it die. <laughs> Maybe not let it die. Just ride it around at the cottage for fun. Becomes an unsung hero after exactly. that. Exactly. After you pass. Yeah. And that's it. Oh man. I, I had an emotional uh, part when I, when I, while I was waiting for my test to happen, I just, I grabbed it by its headlight and I said, please, whatever you do <laughs> work for me, <laughs> do not fail me here. And it didn't. He told me I should have drove faster. And I told him, you should see me. And then the headlight fell out. <laughs> yeah, and then and then the bike tipped over and gave up. It's trying to tell you something. It yeah. just can't speak. <laughs> Stop. <laughs> That's what it sounded like on the highway. Yeah, they made me go on the highway. It's fucking. It's nuts, man. That thing is right. not built yeah. for the highway. There's like yeah. 12 inch tires. I was. It was screaming doing 85, and the Suzuki, the Suzuki Boulevard in front of me hit. Thank God his speedo didn't work. He thought he was doing 100. He was doing 80. So oh, wow. he he wasn't even pulling away. He was right in front of me. And then I had a BMW uh, adventure bike behind me. And that was, uh, he, I, all I heard was his engine. He was right on my rear tire. Yeah. Freaking guy. Like, he had to go to work. So he was trying to rush through the, the through the course. And I'm thinking like, dude, you see what I'm riding? Yeah. You're going you're gonna to run me over if you don't, <laughs> if you don't relax there. So tell him to see you in a couple months. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'll blow his eardrums there out. There you go. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, but yeah, so wrapped up that. Just want to share that story with you guys. Maybe now we can get into uh, into the actual podcast itself. Um, I guess we're gonna talk. We're gonna do our normal thing. Talk about cars, a little bit about watches. Uh, but uh, we have Eric here, so obviously we're gonna speak about insights from him. But before we get into some of our uh, current events, some of our stories, let's uh, direct it to Eric. Eric, why don't you tell the good people a little bit about your car history? You know what you're currently driving, what you're into, that kind of thing. Yeah, no, for sure. Um, I mean, when I first started driving, uh, I had a Nissan Maxima year 2000 only Beautiful. lasted about a month saved our lives exactly so i mean that's that's a hero why don't you elaborate on that yeah, well, as you just threw that out there it saved our lives it, it did it well did. basically long story short coming back from a golf tournament um the construction workers or whoever's working there at the time decide hey let's cut the lanes down when there's still a lot of traffic yeah they were doing road work and yeah they it, it was later there. at night yeah so i mean that's fair but, I mean, they didn't really give too much of a heads up. I think, Ant, you can speak to that. When we oh, yeah. were coming by, we're going into the lineup there, and everybody's just waiting. And I can tell, uh, like, I could see in the rearview mirror. People are just flying by. Mm-hmm. And I remember I looked over, and I said, you know what? I said, I got to find a way to maneuver. I couldn't get into the other lane. Mm-hmm. And then they're like, okay, you know what? I either got to move to the shoulder or something because we're going to get hit. Literally, like, a second later after I look in the rearview mirror, boom. Yeah. R.I.P. All, all I remember maximum. from yeah, all I remember from that was the the whole cabin filling up with headlights, like yeah. with light. Yeah. And then it was like a boom, instant. Yeah. And the guy, man, the guy crushed into us. It was a Chevy 
trailblazer. It was a trailblazer. He had like a dent on his bumper. Yeah. And my whole, the whole rear bumper, everything was just pushed in. And That's... then we thought that he, he took off. Yeah. He... Trying to start it. Didn't realize that the, the rear tires were stuck in place because I guess the whole frame, everything had been oh, bent. Yeah. yeah, exactly. So he, uh, I remember like, I couldn't open the door. I had to climb out of the window. Yeah. And yeah. then, and I just, because of course I was still in shock. Like I just went up to the guy like, what are you, what yeah. are you doing, man? <laughs> well, he's doing that. And I put a, a little pile on the, <laughs> on, the, on the highway. What? <laughs> this thing was like, maybe like, how, like a foot tall. Yeah. It was like the. <laughs> I put it on the corner <laughs> in the lane. <laughs> with your, it's the type of thing that they give you with like your, your road hazard kit. Yeah. <laughs> Like that was gonna. St- everyone could see the 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 sedan that was turned into a subcompact hatchback yeah. in a little pylon on top. These people are driving by and they're like, "Hey, make sure to stay out of the lane." And I was like, "Yeah, thanks. I'm just gonna walk across the lane. That's <laughs> thanks. a good idea." A major accident. Here. Yeah, exactly. Uh, but you know what? Our golf clubs were in the trunk and they were totally fine. And we were totally fine. Yeah. So that was good. So you know, rest in pieces, Maxima. Yeah. Fantastic car. But anyway, continue on. You're- so we had that one. Then I got a new one, 2008. It was okay, you know, the CVT, everything like that. It kind of it, it kind of dulls the car experience. Yeah, but it was a V6. And that yeah. that Gen Maxima has a pretty big cult following. I actually yeah. was driving behind one with an exhaust yesterday. Uh, he had like a, I guess, not straight pipe, but maybe like a cat back. Yeah. And it sounded really good. Like, yeah. It, same thing as the 370 and 350Z, I would assume, same motor. Three. Yeah, it's the three and a half liter. So V6, it, it, yeah. it's from that same family. I think obviously some of the tuning is different depending which car you're getting. Mm-hmm. But he was pretty good. But the CVT kind of dulls a lot of that stuff. Yeah. But you know what? I still have it. It's slowly breaking down. But for now, it's serviceable. It'll probably yeah. end up being a winter beater. Yeah. And I mean, at that point, like you have a, a, a more enthusiastic car now. So exactly. that's, and that's that, very exciting. Yes. So when, what is the vehicle that we've spoken about so many times on this podcast? Uh, 2016 Dodge Challenger RT. Mm-hmm. Shaker hood, though. Shaker hood. You don't see a lot of them. Yeah. You no, don't you really see a lot don't. of them. I, I'm go around it, it it turns heads i'm not yeah. trying to be uh not cock or anything but people people do look the shit yeah i will say i i don't see that many rts to begin with but the rts i do see i'm always i always look because yeah. it might be you but i've <laughs> never i've never seen another shaker hood unless we're at a dealer or there's like a bunch of guys driving their challengers yeah it's a it's a pretty rare option and it does change the look of the rt by quite a bit. So. Yeah. And that was very important. When I was looking, I didn't want to settle for a non-shaker hood because I saw and I was like, you know what? It, like you said, it makes it stand out. It changes the whole appearance of the car. Yeah, exactly. Like, I think I've only seen, like, on the road, maybe two other ones. Just and that to, was it, it. And explain for the people who are uninitiated, explain what uh, the shaker hood is. So, basically, it's just... Um, I guess it's from, I guess, the 60s, 70s when they had it. But basically, it's just an intake. Yeah. It's a different style for the intake, so it just allows more air. It's not, like, it still has function now, but it doesn't actually shake around as much. On the older ones, because it's a little bit more of a raw car, mm-hmm. because technology at the time, it would actually shake, rattle a little bit. Yeah. This one doesn't do it, which is good. Speak to the quality of uh, Dodge now. But, yeah, yeah it's, it's more just for looks. But uh, if you do look it up, it's a nice little air intake that's coming out of the hood. Mm-hmm. But it's not too, uh, like it's not too obnoxious or anything. No, it's, it's nice, very it's subtle. subtle. Mm-hmm. In on a black car like yours, it it blends in well. Yeah. But it, uh, I remember the first day you got it when you were you were just like revving it, and I could see because you're not used to seeing the part of the vehicle move when you rev the car because yeah. you don't see the engine. But yeah, when exactly. You see, when you have this hole in the hood and you have the shaker intake there, mm-hmm. it's very cool. 
Uh, and it definitely adds something to your car. And then obviously you've done some other work to it as well. Yeah. So there's a couple of things I, w- I want to speak to the, well, it's a manual car. So again, mm-hmm. save the manuals. Hashtag save the manuals. Um, but uh, yeah, so an important part with the manual transmission, uh, got the skip shift eliminator. So that's mm-hmm. an important thing for anybody who's driving that type of car. Even if it's Camaro Mustang, I think those actually have it as well. Basically what the car will do is for emissions just to make it have do better on the test really in real world application doesn't do a lot Mm -hmm. but what it'll do is it'll lock out the second gear so when you're going from first to second it'll lock it out try to get you right in a fourth so that was a little thing i think i paid like 30 bucks for it Mm -hmm. put the car in a lift you plug it in that that's the best thing you could do just to kind of make the experience a little bit better you don't have to worry about it it's kind of annoying if you're at like stoplights or anything like that where you're waiting and then you want to take off quickly and you have this thing jumping in, I think if you're about 20 kilometers or something, if you're around that that speed, mm-hmm. then it would block it. Now I don't have to worry about it. So I have that. I, I always thought it was weird because it, that like I, I hear a lot of, of like the pony cars that, uh, that are sold, right? Mm-hmm. Domestic pony cars. They come with that skip shift because like you said, they have to be able to pass emissions and that yeah. helps. Why don't they just give you a button to turn to eliminate the the skip, like the skip shift? At, at that point, I don't think it would pass emissions. Because then they're giving you an option to eliminate it from yeah. the factory. So then it's not. That's what I would assume. Yeah, I guess. Even even if they could do it, I think to put all that stuff. I mean, it would be probably extremely cheap for them to do it, but they would probably jack up the price even higher. It may, I mean, it would only be maybe like a, a couple extra hundred bucks, even, but they'll market it that way. I don't even I think, think it's that. I think it's more so that they just wouldn't pass the yeah. same way that they would with it. Yeah, then then what fair. I would do because because my when I when I think about this I think about like uh, maybe an older guy who's mm-hmm. not who doesn't know about forums and doesn't know about aftermarket things for his car if he buys one of these muscle cars starts driving it and immediately he's like well what it goes into the dealer saying hey my my transmission constantly goes from first and wants to put me in fourth it won't yeah. let me select second or third when I'm not driving normally mm-hmm. the, then what are they going to say oh it's a feature on the car yeah the dealer should be equipped with this aftermarket solution so they can say okay you have a you have, you have a skip shift. Yeah. We can get rid of it for you, but you have to do this, right? Yeah. And saying that, now that I'm thinking about it, like companies like Lamborghini, they have um, auto start stop now. In the Hurricane, you have auto start stop. And they do that to so that they can still produce these big engine cars yeah. and, and pass emissions. But you can turn it off. So what, what you said is, why should why don't they have it? Then they should have something like that. Yeah. There, there, there should be a way that they can get well, around it. Yeah. It, a track mode that would turn off the skip shift, something like that. I'm I was, sure they do. I was told that the track one might, but I think that was for the older ones, the 2011 to 14. I think in the newer ones, it doesn't. Like when I bought it, it doesn't defeat it. But... Mm-hmm. When I was reading on the forms for this issue to start, well, I call it an issue because it was annoying, mm-hmm. but uh, some of the dealerships, I know at least in the US, I don't know here in Canada, I find there's a lot more aftermarket stuff you see in the US. A yeah. lot of people talk about it more. There's some dealerships that will just offer it right away or some of the clients will just request it right away. But mm-hmm. the thing is that you're saying not everybody knows, right? Yes, exactly. So, I mean, they offer it, but it's sort of like an unwritten kind of thing that, hey, it's there, but they're not going to actively market it mm-hmm. to people, right? You want to publicize something like that because it would be a yeah. real letdown. Like, yeah. If, you, if, you, if you're buying a manual, you're, you're not buying it because it's the cheap option anymore, especially in a car like that. You're buying it because you want to drive manual. Yeah. And I'm sorry, being forced to shift from first to fourth just because you have the torque available is not driving stick. You're, yeah. you're not getting to wind out the gears. Exactly. You're not feeling the, the instant torque. Yeah. So, I mean, I, I'm happy you got it. I was so happy that it was a simple solution. Yeah. But that, exactly. I think, is something that, that the dealer should be responsible for. If you're, if you're part of this 
this, uh, you know, giving this person this new car and being part of, of that part of their life. Yeah. Don't sell them a car with a, with a skip shift bullshit, especially if, if they they don't know about it and they don't want it. Yeah. So, yeah. Yeah, but, no, uh, for sure. I agree. You got some other mods on there too. Yeah. So the next one is uh, an exhaust. Mm -hmm. So I was doing a lot of back and forth at this. Um, you guys would know, obviously, but uh, I was looking at the Flowmaster Outlaw, mm -hmm. but uh, I didn't go with that one because I couldn't find anybody who actually had it. Um, so I couldn't see anything like real world to actually see it in person to see how it was. Mm -hmm. and then when you would re uh, watch the stuff on YouTube, it's tough, right? You hear it on a video, depending what the recording quality is like, stuff like that, it can sound very different, right? So I didn't want to take the chance with that. So I actually found a company, um, it's a solo exhaust. So the company mm -hmm. is solo. So it's installed by um, a an exhaust shop in Mississauga. So it's mm -hmm. called Zorro Muffler. And they actually own the, the solo company. Oh, wow. So they actually produce it. Mm -hmm. And they sell like in the U.S. everywhere, but this is basically the home base in Mississauga. So I went to do it there. Price was like eleven hundred bucks. So for an exhaust for that, it's it is fantastic, insanely. Yeah. I mean, I, I know uh, there Mike are here has an exhaust too, but uh, yeah, yeah when, when, when it's going out to a German car, it's a little <laughs> well, exactly. It's there, but it's just premium. The big thing yeah. is uh, with with exhaust because a lot there's probably a lot of guys listening right now who are guys and girls who are going to hear eleven hundred dollars for an exhaust and they're going to you know shit their pants. Eleven hundred dollars. Come and listen. Yeah, no, it sounds fantastic, but. $1,100 sounds like a lot of money, but when you're buying, uh, you have a cat back, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's a cat when back. you're buying a cat back, you're not just buying mufflers. You're buying the piping from basically the front of the front under back, oh, sorry, past the engine or midship yeah. all the way to your tailpipes, what, what you see at the back of the car. Yeah. And for most vehicles that, you know, sportier cars or, or vehicles that have dual or quad pipes, you're going to be spending a substantial amount of money, whether you go Borla, Magnaflow, any of the big names, yeah. or some of these other micro Borla brands. was more than double. Oh, it yeah. It was going to be more than double. Yeah. And I think, I don't know, you guys can probably speak to it too, but I think the sound is just as good, if not better. Mm -hmm. Like, I don't get a lot of drone in the cabin. Mm -hmm. um, if I step on it, you know, you can hear it. Mm -hmm. You guys can, can hear it if I'm going through a neighborhood or any just any No, the street, car, the car is loud. It is not yeah. it's not the kind of car where you're like, oh, you got to hear it when it's driving. I when think it's, it's kind of quiet when I'm driving. I don't think it's as obnoxious as other people <laughs> tell me, but, you know. It's it's interesting. <laughs> <laughs> when uh, I'll give you an example. We were, at, uh, we were at a popular ice cream joint the other week what? and me and Nicola <laughs> La Paloma what I don't want to say La Paloma Shout it sounds out. so Italian but anyway <laughs> we, uh, we were there me and Nicola were staying behind your car when you started oh it. yeah and Nicola jumped Really? You know, you know what it takes to make our friend Nikolai jump. Yeah. He, he jumped. It, it is, it is loud. You get used to it. Yeah. But it is definitely loud. It's significantly louder. Your car is loud. Like I'd say, Mikey's car is fairly loud, especially yeah. for what it is. But it's on a whole. What do you mean? What do you, what do you mean for what it is? It's, it's a it, from stock. It's a quiet, tamed car. Yeah. And it, his is a more refined sound. It, yeah. it suits the car. Yes, nicely. exactly. What I'm saying is, it's not like. In your face, it's not. No one would would say like, "Oh my god!" You know, when your car starts up, it's it's immediate. It's like it's it's a loud car. Yeah, it sounds good though because it fits the look of the Challenger. It's supposed to be an imposing, intimidating big vehicle, and that's what it does well. Yeah, exactly. You know, we can. I think we've we've had this discussion before about what modern day muscle cars are becoming. Yeah, I think that Dodge. Uh, well, actually, Dodge now has that all-wheel drive uh, Challenger. Challenger. Yeah, the GT. Yeah. It, it's, you know what? I, I get why they're doing it. You know what? End of the day, 
they are a business, so they need to attract yeah. more buyers, right? So if you can get those people who are in the winter climates, I mean, we're in a winter climate. Mm-hmm. I still drive it. Put the winter tires on, you're good. But mm-hmm. some people who want that safety, I, I get why it's there. I wouldn't buy it personally, but it is what it is. Yeah, but they also only make it, uh, they only offer it in the V6. Yeah, So it's like exactly. you'd be buying that car at that point really just as like a regular car. Yeah. You know, it's a V6 engine with an all-wheel drive drivetrain. Yeah. So, but when I think of Challenger, I think of summer car, sports, muscle, because it goes, its lineage goes all the way up to the Demon, right? Like, yeah. that's So, it, for me, what's happening to to the the current climate for domestic uh, pony cars? Mm-hmm. It's very strange, right? You have the Mustang EcoBoost and the Chevy um, uh, Camaro, both being offered in four cylinder turbo variants. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, the, the, and Chevy's claiming that it's supposed to excite the tuner market. And then you have Chrysler uh, releasing a, a Dodge Challenger. Not even like it put the all wheel drive in the in the Charger, right? It's a sedan. Yeah. But the Challenger all wheel drive with a V6, it, it seems like what, what I like about your RT is it's got a shaker hood. It's got a loud exhaust. It, it's not apologetic for what yeah. it is. It, it is in in a typical sense, they're, they're, it's appealing to, to the tradition of the vehicle. Yeah, exactly. But I think all-wheel drive and four-cylinders are the opposite of that. Now, we can have a different discussion of if they're trying to change what pony cars are, Yeah. right? Because who's to say that the 1960s, 70s, and whatever were, were the best time for muscle cars mm-hmm. uh, or there are the only defining thing for pony cars. But it's just strange. We live in a time of change. So Yeah. A lot of it is the, the fuel economy, those regulations mm-hmm. are trying to, to put it on. But you know what? And the technology, too. Yeah. But you know what? I think they can still make other cars because the thing is i think when they look at the fuel like the economy like the regulations Mm -hmm. it it takes all the brands cars into account i I believe i think that's how they do it they do it i guess like an average something like that but the thing is those cars that's how they are i mean unfortunately they have to meet this middle ground so you know what end of the day if they have to put four cylinders they have to put turbos and stuff like that to kind of keep it there so we can have our the v6 variants of v8 variants so on and so forth you know what? I, I'd be fine with it because mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like I like my car for what it is. And I don't want them to kill it off. And no, I think those 100%. cars sell and they do all of them. Mustang, Camaro, Challenger, they all have their place. You can't just cut that stuff out. Mm-hmm. If you're going to do that, then you know what? Then do more technology for the V8. There has to be other ways to do it. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. No, I, I think that uh, if they're extracting so much performance out of V6s now. Yeah. No one will turbo a V8 just because financial, no. at least yeah. in, the, in the muscle There's car no need. Era, there's yeah, no need. yeah. So, but uh, but to to see what they could do if they if they put more money into not just leaving the V8 there as a nostalgic option, yeah. But to make an actual performance car, I mean, we do see that in the Demon, yeah, and the to the highest levels, but uh, of uh, of Mustang and Camaro as well. But you know, we'll see what happens. Now, speaking of how they're doing in sales, I think that actually translates over to our first uh, our first big uh, big story of the day, Ford is deciding to axe all of the North American passenger cars and sedan like the sedans, mm-hmm. hatchbacks, except for the Mustang. And I'm not sure why people more people aren't talking about this. The Focus is not being axed. The Focus was just released, uh, the new Focus. And they're keeping a sedan, wagon, and hatch variant of it. So Focus and Mustang are the only uh, passenger cars that uh, you'll be able to buy from Ford. What do you guys think about that? It's uh, It's definitely interesting. I mean, you know what? I thought they would probably they would be doing a little bit better with it. I I get the Taurus. I mean, it's old. I mean, it, it, they had like the SHO stuff like it, so they had performance variants. But I think people just don't need 
those big cars anymore. You know what I mean? A lot of people and Ford is, I think is kind of getting ahead of the, the curve with that. They're saying, you know what? People don't want these big cars. They want small SUVs crossover something. Mm-hmm. I think our, our market, at least they want that, you know, the perception of, you know, the safety stuff like mm-hmm. that. So they're looking all at those things. So, I mean, it, it's good. I think there's definitely still potential with it. And I think if they do, I think they can, they can make like a small size car. Like, I mean, they're keeping the focus, which is yeah. good. They're expanding as a line. So I think right now they're doing a good job with that. It's going to be interesting to see in the future how the market's actually going to respond, mm-hmm. right? If Ford has actually played it properly or mm-hmm. if it's like, you know what? We've kind of left it languishing there, the market, and now either Chevy or like GM or, or Fiat Chrysler, they step in and they say, you know, yeah, we take that market share and it works out better for them, right? I think that uh, over the last few years, they've seen a huge decline uh, in, in what they've been selling. Like we, like you just, uh, just to reiterate what you were saying there, and the mm-hmm. Japanese market has filled in those gaps. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But other than Honda and Toyota, true. I'll say like Nissan, I don't think sells very well. Uh, they, uh, they're a bit all over the place yeah. in my opinion. I like, they're trying to make their car sporty, but also they're like bland in a sense. It, it's a weird, it's a yeah. weird thing. I, I think they, they took on a, a lot of the EV stuff with yeah. the Leaf. Yeah. And in Japan, I think that they do offer a lot more EV, uh, and, and maybe hybrid variants, but mm-hmm. they sort of, they've been really lackluster in, in North America. The three seventies in need of a, of a big refresh. They keep releasing Forever. updated Nismos and stuff. The GTR. The GTR is yeah, yeah. Like the GTR is still a fast car, but when it came out, it was groundbreaking. Yeah. And now everything, yeah. everything's you know, caught up to it yeah. so quickly and they need to update it. Yeah. yeah. And they, they have to find their, their core at Nissan, but, uh, so their passenger cars are just very lackluster. Uh, I, you know, you guys know that we hopped in uh, and we picked up a Frontier. The Frontier is one of those models that just has not been updated, and it's got the same interior it did in two thousand nine. Now, huge upgrade from the Ranger, and that's why we like it. But it is a it is a stale car. Yeah, uh, and that's really I think uh, similar to to the rest of Nissan's lineup. They did just release a new Altima, I believe, or maybe it was a new Maxima. No, well, the Maxima is still fairly new. The Ultima they did too, but it doesn't mm-hmm. look much different. Like, did you see the brand new one for twenty? I think it was a twenty eighteen, like yeah, a car show. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it was just more of a refresh. Like when I yeah. looked at it, I didn't see like a a very different design. But you know what? I don't even pay as much attention to them anymore because yeah. they're not. It, there's nothing really exciting. Like yeah. you said, they don't really know what they're doing. Like they they fix up the Titan. Okay, whatever. Mm-hmm. They're gonna get what like a couple percent of the market for that. That's pretty much some guys who are tired of the domestics are, are moving towards like Toyota did well with the Tundra, but the Tundra has a bit more history. Um, yeah. But uh, no, I think, I think the Titan, I mean, if we had our friend Alex on, he'd be scoffing, but <laughs> honestly, the Titan is uh, it's a truck. It will work. It's it, I, it comes equipped with a lot of great options. You got a Cummins diesel. You can get as an option. Yeah. It's got really good suspension. I think they, they went to Fox for the suspension. Really? Yeah. Oh, I, I good, don't huh? quote me on Fox, but they did outsource suspension on the pro four by four model. Okay. They have like an off-road capable model. Um, so they're, they're stepping up their game there and maybe that's indicative of them following the same trend as the domestics, maybe focusing less on passenger cars for North mm-hmm. America. Yeah. Um, but Honda and Toyota seem to have taken up the challenge to save the sedan, right? Yeah. They Honda put tons of R and D in the Civic and the Accord. Yeah. I'd say Toyota with the, with their Camry and Corolla recently have been updated. Obviously brand new Camry and Corolla has been out for a couple of years. Yeah. They totally refreshed it. I don't think they're doing as well as Honda in, in that regard mm-hmm. uh, because they are new models, but they're still a little bit lackluster. Uh, but I think the, the one 
they're eating up market share for passenger cars. So it makes sense if, if Nissan's going to follow suit with uh, with Ford and, and GM and Chrysler and just axe their passenger car division because if they can't compete with with what Honda and Toyota are putting out, and Hyundai, sorry, Hyundai as well, stepping up. They're, and Kia. Yeah, yeah. I mean, yeah. Together, hand, but still, yeah. They're, they keep, I mean, it seems like every auto show, we get a new Hyundai, Kia, or Genesis release. And yeah. they're all cars, right? They yeah. got the Kona and other small compacts, but a lot of, a lot of sedans. Yeah. So what it seems is that over the last decade, we've had specific car manufacturers taking up market share. Yeah. And it's leaving the, the, the other big guys, right, with their dicks in their hands saying, okay, well, we're just not going to make cars anymore. Done. Yeah. So it, the other thing that I, I was thinking about, and I actually spoke to Mikey about this earlier this week, if you have big companies like Ford and, and GM's part of this too, GM mm-hmm. in a similar note said, we're going to be putting significantly less investment in our passenger car lineup over the next few years. They're not being yeah. as tight as, uh, as tight as GM was, or sorry, as Ford is saying, because Ford just legitimately came out and said, we're axing. But GM's being a little bit more softer uh, with their, they're just saying we're not going to invest as much, but they're making a similar call. Yeah. And and Chrysler's discontinuing the 200. I'll be honest, I didn't hate the 200. I know that it had terrible consumer report uh, reviews, like initial quality was crap. Yeah. But I thought the 200 was a good looking car because it was based off of a off of a Fiat, I believe. Yeah. So it, you know, it was one of the nicest things from Chrysler's lineup. Now all that they're going to keep is the 300 which everyone knows it's been the same, you know, for like the last maybe five years since it yeah. was updated. Um, 500 or they're keeping the 300. And then obviously the Challenger will still be there from Dodge and, and, and stuff of that yeah, nature. Challenger and Charger. But I think that's really all they have. I mean, you can count the Grand Caravan Town and Country, but I mean, those aren't. No, those are uh, minivans will be around story, for a while. Right? Yeah. Exactly. But the Pacifica did well. I think it won Canadian uh, yeah. Minivan of the Year. Yeah, the very van. nice. Uh, yeah. For fans, yeah, I, yeah, yeah, yeah. A good offer. <laughs> I love me, I love me some minivans. Yeah, I'm not trading my car in anytime soon yeah. for that, but I mean, yeah, sure. Kudos, oh, you don't want like a screen in the back and you know, captain's chairs. They're I get a driver, seating. maybe. Yeah, <laughs> going on a nice long road trip. Um, but I did have a chance to sit in a 2018 Ford Echo Sport or Eco Sport, and I'd never heard of this car when I was writing it up for a, a friend of um of one of the technicians, and when when I asked him, what what car is this? Did you import this? He said, no, no, this is a 2018 model. Ford sells this here because they're they're not making cars anymore. Yeah. So they're making compact SUVs, like hella compact SUVs. Yeah. This thing was about the size, like the footprint of a Fiesta, but lifted. Really? And when when you hop in, it is so European. One of the things that always that you I always I can always tell a European designed car because the dash is low. It's a it's a big tall car with a very low dash, massive uh, uh, windscreen for visibility and and very like very. You can just tell that people go on little road trips in this thing. Like that that is that is how this is this this vehicle is designed. So it's just very it's a strange quirky little car, but it's the direction Ford's going to go in. Yeah. And and when I when I looked at this, I thought. You know, every generation, right? If we if we talk about people generation, like our dads and our grandfathers, they all witnessed, there's been major changes in, in the design of vehicles on a generic basis, right? If you go back to the 50s and 60s, cars were a little bit more swoopy, right? They had more, uh, a lot of a lot of steel, a lot of metal, a lot of chrome. 70s, 80s, 90s, started to get a bit more boxy, right? They started playing around with angles a little bit more. And the 80s and 90s were maybe a bit boring time for design. 
early 2000s, we went back to swoopiness and, and the car, cars were still a big part of the market. But I feel like for the, for the late teens that we're in right now, a big defining factor of the next decade is going to be a lot of cars looking like crossovers. Yeah. A lot of roof lines meeting the trunk. Like that's that is gonna be the next step in design. And who was the first to popularize it? It was BMW with the X6. And when it came out, everyone laughed at it. Oh, yeah. it's a hunchback. And look at that. And also Honda had a cross tour, let me say. Honda yeah, came out with a cross that's tour. Not really. What do you mean? Cross tour and Acura ZDX? Ahead the of their ZDX, time, man. Yeah. yeah. The Z honestly, if they brought the ZDX back, yeah. they can probably get some sales from it. A hundred percent, but Acura is a failing brand and they yeah. never do something that cool. Damn. Um but Honda, I will say, as a, if anyone's listening and they drive a cross tour, sell it. They, by far who's uh, gonna buy it? Oh, I don't know. You trade it in. Because don't you drive Honda's you're hilarious. Now that my car's at stock height, I'm sorry it's practical. Um the the uh, the thing about the cross tour, Hondas don't typically have a lot of problems when they're relatively new, and they're usually pretty easy to fix if they do have problems. The cross tour is just a well of unfathomable issues <laughs> because it was a rushed uh, uh, production uh, of a car that no one really asked for. So it's just a confusing mismatch of parts that no other Honda has, and it's it's very quirky and just yeah. avo avoid a, cro a cross tour. And I assume the ZDX. But would that be would the breath. cross tour be closer to what the five series, the BMW, the five series GT, GT. and the three three series? That's what I was it thinking. would be. It's a bit higher than that, though. I think okay. they put actual like truck, not truck, but the, it, it it rides higher than those. Very funny. Truck nuts, nice. <laughs> it rides. Okay, is, is there you, Alex? Now uh, it rides. Uh, Alex, if you're listening, I love you. Uh, yeah, I know he, he he doesn't he doesn't listen to our podcast, but uh, it rides higher than the five series GT. I think what BMW did with that car because they couldn't uh, dig tap into their uh, crossover segment, so they kept it low to the ground. Yeah, and then just put a hatch on it. Like, uh, but you know what? If you're gonna do it, just go full. I mean, it's hard to do it here mm -hmm. in Europe. It's a lot more popular. Yeah. Do a wagon like the five series GT, no. three series GT. What, what do you mean? I, I would do I them as wagons. wagons in America. The wagon's been ruined. Yeah, no, we, it's gonna be echoey. We can't avoid it. We can't, we can't avoid it. I apologize well, for this just, terrible quality. To, to talk into the mic, we just have to kiss each other. That's it. The content quality is good. That's all that matters. Oh, Mikey, not if you do that. Nice. Um, yeah, but, no, the wagon's been ruined in, in America. You, you, you can't get them. They brought the X6, let them try it. Uh, yeah, uh, I mean, was the X6 in Europe before? I don't think so. No, but I'm saying like they tried to like bring like a, a design that you know wasn't very popular. And they probably they they might be able to do it again. The, right? The idea that that Europeans want something different from Americans is changing. Yeah, maybe Europeans don't need V8s because they don't travel long highway to, and it's just not ingrained in their culture. But I think that the global market speaks for itself. We want wagons here. There's enough of a market. That people will buy wagons. Yeah, it, it, you're not gonna you're not gonna not be able to sell. What you know how good looking the the Mercedes wagons are. Yeah, the C and E class yeah. wagons are gorgeous. Yeah, tell you. Are you telling me if that came here? here? Yeah, even the Audi A4 wagons. I which mean, they, they still they sell have, them here, but they, they don't have, have S4 variants. They don't yeah. have sporty exactly. variants. Exactly. They don't have the, the, the high performance. Bring Avants over. People will buy them. Douchebags will buy them to post on Instagram. That Because wow. that's what all the European douchebags do. And in America. Whoa, 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 whoa. <laughs> I'm not saying they're bad cars. I'm just saying that's what the trend is. I'm telling you. I North Face Rally. Them. North Face Rally will be full of Avants. Gosh. <laughs>
Well, think about it. Shout out to North Face Rally. Why Why would I have to buy an SUV and a car or a sporty SUV when I can go, if I get a, a station wagon, mm-hmm. that has it all. I have the handling of a car, mm-hmm. the utility of an SUV. Europeans tapped into it a long time ago, but apparently exactly. Americans, uh, oh, we got to have But I don't understand. Where's, where's that stigma coming from? Excess. American excess. Yeah. That's it. It's the fact that, oh, uh, well, I got my muscle car for the Sunday and Saturday yeah. I got my sedan and then uh, Monday to Friday I got but my see, pickup. But the thing is they can still do that if they want, but yeah. it just makes it easier if mm-hmm. they use the wagon. But like, I'd use a wagon for every day. Why not? 100% I'd use it. Why not? Put the seats down and you have a little pickup truck. Yeah, and they can make them look nice. <laughs> of you know course. What I mean? they, of we're course. not talking like a Ford Taurus wagon. Mm-hmm. If that's what people are thinking oh, of, sorry, those days are but gone. But that's the thing. That's what that's, people are thinking and of. And that is, that is the station wagon that Americans have been stuck with. Yeah. Is the, the one that... Uh, from the wood uh, grain on the side. Yeah, the one che- Chevy Chase drove in uh, National oh, Lampoon's. Oh, the wood panel. Yeah. Like that's that's the American stigma around wagons. Yeah, but that is that's the eighties and nineties. Yeah. Terrible time for automobiles. Yeah, exactly. Wagons are, are far better now. Don't so. don't look at any of the uh, American no, cars God. in the eighties and nineties. Don't just don't look My inside. God. Yeah. Ooh. Vulgar interior, as Jeremy Clarkson would say. But I think that what Ford did, back back to the main story here, what mm-hmm. Ford has done being strict. Exactly yeah. what we expected from them after the whole bailout situation, uh, you know, in 2008, we wanted these companies to make quick decisions and axe cars that weren't selling, cut their their cut their losses and 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 lean up a little bit. Yeah, they're they're showing an example of that. I hope GM will move quicker too. Um, but this this change will represent maybe the entire stigma around. Europeans get one thing, Americans get another. Let's have global vehicles that everyone can appreciate. Yeah. And and maybe one day we'll have Avants. Who knows? Yeah. And Ford Cars with 300 horsepower. And until then, everyone buy their E63 wagons. Yeah. They're beautiful cars. Moving on. A couple of other cars that are beautiful. Um, now, we chose this... Uh, we chose to talk about this because, Eric, you're on the show, and, and we know that you have for a long time um, been acquainted with... American muscle, right? Since you were young, you've, you've been a fan. It. You'll love the stuff. So why don't we talk about the two pinnacles right now of American muscle? Um, and honestly, they've even moved past American muscle. They are, they are These are proper global champions yeah. of performance. There's definitely some finesse. Yes. In these cars. Oh, yeah. They're, they're not just about brash horsepower. This is this is what uh, you can do when you have the, the R&D power of of major brands we're talking of course about the brand new chevy corvette zr1 and a car that a lot of people forgot about i think personally due to mismarketing um the viper at the srt viper now it came in gts and also uh acr i think was the ACR, hottest yeah. acr yep. was the hottest one so obviously we, we would talk a bit more about the acr here um both cars outlandishly fast outlandishly loud and like both literally loud cars but also yeah. styled aggressively massive wings you can you know, like park benches on functional. the functional functional too yeah like these these are proper f- performance machines um but uh, before we get into into you know what we think about the two and if one is more relevant than the other you know what i think of when i think of these two cars what's that anthony i i think i i mikey i might have told you this already i think of oh they they sit. I think of these two cars, uh, a suburb in Kentucky, or you know another another American uh, state. You have a thing with Kentucky. I uh, yeah, something about Kentucky for me. I think about these two cars sitting in Chicken. in two garages owned by two separate men. 
both men who have done fairly well for themselves. They got a nice pickup truck and they got the, these cars and their wives drive nice domestic vehicles, maybe Cadillacs or, or, uh, or, or Chrysler or something like that, uh, or Lincolns. And, and what these men do is they come home, uh, they, they ring each other up and they say, hey, uh, let's, go, let's go over to the Target, to, to the Taco Bell. What are you going to take tonight? Oh, I'm going to take the Viper. What are you going to take? I'm going to take the ZR1. And they both show up to, in, front of, uh, in front of this Target and it's seven o'clock at night on a Thursday to buy right? some three ply toilet paper. Yeah, and maybe they go in and maybe they just get a coffee at McDonald's. Who knows? But they show up in these cars just to sit Dunkin and talk Donut. at Dunkin', Dunkin Donuts. America sorry. runs on Dunkin' boys. He's running, um, and they just sit and they park these beautiful cars that are so well kept and they're clean and they're spotless and they just talk to each other, they just meet up, and they drive home in their cars and they park them in the garage because oh, so they're normal human beings. Where are you going? But from? but that is what I envision when I when because. <laughs> The whole the whole thing, the reason why I had this thought is because Motor Trend posted a picture on their Instagram about an inevitable competition between the new ZR1 and the, the standing champ right now, the reigning champ of, mm-hmm. of American performance, the Viper ACR. Why are we leaving out Ford and uh, and uh, with the GT or three G, GT350R and the Demon? Those are niche vehicles. The GT350R is a track car uh, more than it is straight line performance, and the Demon is the opposite of that. It's more straight line performance than it is a track car. These are these, these are Yeah, exactly. Yes, yes. Uh, but then why don't we talk about the 4GT? Because it's not attainable. These are cars that you can yeah. find on a lot. You didn't have to win a lottery, uh, literally. like a, You didn't have to win a, a manufacturer lottery to get your hands on one. These are cars that, like, like my example, regular you know, good old boys can, can buy. And, and they drive them to Target, right? You're not going to see a guy show up in his Ford what GT do do at, at Target. What do they do after that? Oh, you go to McDonald's. Maybe they buy some, yeah, like Eric said, three-ply toilet oh, paper. And they go home. And they go home. Okay. It's just because it, they, they, they use it the same way a guy would use a Camaro. But it's the ultimate version of that. You know what I mean? It, it's it, They're insanely capable but you're going to see them out out about in regular daily things. Someone's going to go to do a McDonald's run in I, one of these. I, I, I disagree with you. I don't think these cars are as readily available as you think. An I think ACR Viper and a ZR1, I don't think I think I think that that's not the that's have, you, have you guys looked the current ones. Have you guys looked on Auto Trader ACR prices? Ridiculous. Didn't they skyrocket? 200,000. Yeah. But uh, three years ago, want one. three years ago when they were selling them, they couldn't get them off the lot. Yeah. They had a hard time selling them. I think because that they uh, you can option them up to like 160,000 US. Yeah. Which is ridiculous yeah. for that car. But that is also one of the fastest vehicles right. around Laguna but nobody Seca. Wants, nobody wants to drive these cars on the road either. Uh, yes. I think that the the ZR1 is probably a bit more road going. It doesn't scare people as much. The the one yeah. thing that everyone always talks about with the Vipers, no matter what Viper it is, is you, you're hopping in and jumping over a, an exhaust pipe. So as refined as the new one may be compared to the one from the 90s, it has traction control now, and it's not 800 raw horsepower. It's uh, it's more refined. You're still hopping in over an exhaust pipe, and you can still burn your calf. That 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 is a, a quirk and a characteristic of the car that'll always be there. Yeah. It's also insanely uh, dramatic in its styling. You're hopping into what is effectively a spaceship. I think the Corvette's a little bit more subtle in mm-hmm. its design. I think it, it looks really nice, um, but it's it's less fantastical. 
Um, if, so if, what do you guys if you think? option out the ZR1 without the, the aero package and the performance package, mm-hmm. um, it is a lot more subtle. Uh, Street Speed Rob is on YouTube. Super, super Speeders Rob. Super, something like that. He just got a ZR1 and he didn't have the big ginormous wing. Mm-hmm. He had like the option without the, all the carbon exterior. And it looks a lot more like the previous generation ZR1 look. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a lot more tame. And I, when we talked about this last week, when, when, when we saw the wing, I said, oh, I, would, I would option it without the wing. It doesn't look the same. You got to get the wing. Yeah. You have to get that package. If you're going that far and you're making the choice to not buy a Z06, yeah, yeah get the wing. Yeah. Go, if you're not go getting ham. Z06, you have to get that appearance package, 100%. Yeah. Basically, go big or go home with those ones. You exactly, yeah. You're, you're choosing the highest level of the breed. Why not You know, splurge and, and make sure people know that it is? Because I'll be honest. Sometimes I see stingrays that have the little ducktail, like the Z06, and I think that they're Z06s. Yeah. Because I think the Z06 looked fantastic, yeah. especially the initial general really like overheating issues. But yeah, it was it was really nice. Sorry, I know I just I just nicked the Panerai there. Thank God I wasn't wearing my rings. Easy now. <laughs> <laughs> um, but uh, but yeah. So here I'm I'm just gonna sh- throw it out there, boys. I have two keys in my hands. One is to a Z06. The other one is to a uh, a Viper. However. The Z06 is in the 9-speed automatic or 10-speed automatic. Sorry, not Z06. ZR1 is in the automatic. Which one are you going to take? This is a tough one. Mm-hmm. Actually, no, no. I don't think it's a tough one. I, I got to go with the Viper. Yeah, I, I have to. Yeah. Even if the even if the, the Corvette was a manual, I'd still go with the Viper. Really? Yeah, yeah. Okay. I think so. If the Corvette was a manual, I would, have a, I would have a difficult time. I love the Viper, but I also love the ZR1. And I just am more, ever since the first-gen ZR1, I, I've just been enamored with uh, with what Chevy, um, Chevy performance has has been able to do. Yeah. So as much as I love the Viper, I guess I guess the question should be which one would you rather uh, own and which one would you rather take to a track? Okay. Track, one hundred percent Viper. Um, do if I own it, what else do I have to drive? Because I don't want to drive either of these. Yeah. <laughs> the you, you still have your your Ford. You still have your F one fifty. The Viper. Viper. Yeah, Viper. Yeah. Then I, I'd have to do Viper for both. Yeah. And and the main thing is, I mean, you look at these cars. You could debate the specs all day. Mm-hmm. I think the ZR one is going to be faster. Well, not is going to be is faster. Mm-hmm. But I mean. Look at the Viper. Like, how many of them do you see around? Yeah, that's the thing. You see, you see a lot of Corvettes. Yes, they're not all ZR ones, but it's a it's derived. Yeah, from the base ones, and you right? Get the four point harness, you mm-hmm. get the whole race experience. And it, we're, we're talking cool. full means ACR. Forget about just regular. And don't worry about I. I I'm no, not if, if factoring want, in price. For yeah, and if you want yeah. like a, an everyday Viper, get the get the TA. Yeah, which is still, you can do that. Yeah, phenomenally, and it looks quick. like an ACR. Yeah, just you get a little bit more road going experience. Yeah, yeah exactly. You know what? I uh, now I think you guys are making me come to my senses. I think you're right. I, I would end up taking the Viper simply because you're never going to come across another Viper on the road, except maybe the odd time. Whereas you're going to have automatic Stingrays, people driving rental Corvette uh, convertibles, and just having the ZR1 is cool, but. Having that Viper and the look of that Viper, oh my God! Mm-hmm. It literally looks like a snake, like something slithering down the road. You well, that's the thing. It's just super. It's just super. Like the styling is super Crazy. aggressive, but but suits it. It it just looks nice. Even and with, only in with America. The wing on it, yeah, yeah, exactly. Interior quality on both of these cars, I think, is solid. Yeah, they they improved both phenomenally. Exactly. Yeah. So you're not going to really lose out on that, yeah. but. Uh, yeah, I mean that—that's where I would be with that. Mikey's currently pointing at the Viper's handbrake. Uh, what's so interesting about that? It's just in the middle of the center console. Yeah, that's always been there since the old, old cars. 
I I don't know much about the Viper, but yeah. no, it's been is it that it's the actual the handle? Big, yeah, yeah, big hefty thing. I don't know if the I think the ZR1 has a an electronic handbrake. I want to say I, I don't know I for think certain. So. I'm not sure. I, I wanna, um, I something say cool so. about the Corvette though that I saw in a, watching a video the other day. Um, when you have the manual transmission, it still has paddles. Um, Do you know what those paddles are for? The auto downshift. Yeah, yeah. to disengage that. That's cool. Oh, it's to turn something on and off. So the auto rev oh, match. Oh, okay. So you can you can turn it on by using the paddle. So you turn it on, then you can start going through and it auto rev matches. Or you can oh, nice. turn it off. That's, that's been nice. But they've had they have that even in Camaros. They've had that for a while. Really? Yeah. Interesting. Because I always I used to oh, always be auto trader. Because yeah. I did see it, and I thought maybe it was just the way they had it set up. They, for... they skimped on. They didn't want to make another steering wheel. <laughs> I thought I used to think that they were infotainment buttons, but no, that's how you toggle on and off the auto uh, rev match. Okay. Well, it'd be good because in most cars. No, yeah, I like it. I kind of yeah. like it. In the Civic, you have to go through menus in the Type R, which takes some time to disengage. I saw a couple of those, by the way. Very cool. Yeah, so, they so are. So now they you are know nice. when you're driving by a guy in a ZR1 and you see the paddles on his steering wheel, you can't just roll down your window and say, "You're a loser driving an automatic." Yeah, that car. Uh, I'm sorry. I, can, I get I get fast track times, but you do not buy that car in an automatic. That is not what the Corvette's about. You can buy you can buy an entry level Stingray convertible because I understand that. You know, it's your nice little car. Your little red Corvette or whatever, but if you're gonna go full beans, get it in the stick. See, but there's a lot it's, of people that option the automatic solely because it's so much power that it's it's hard to drive. Okay, but that's part of it. Sure. I I always I, mean, I, I will I always would, cite I would buy your kid as that one either. But oh, like, yeah, but I will always cite Ralph Giles's fantastic marketing ploy when they first gave the um, the Viper. Ralph. Yeah, your buddy Ralph when they first gave the Viper to Motor Trend. And Motor Trend said, uh, they, they took it around Laguna Seca and they said, oh, well, it didn't surpass our expectations. It wasn't it wasn't too fast. And then Ralph Gilles came out and tweeted them and said, oh, believe me, it's fast. You, you guys just don't know how to drive it. So then Motor Trend said, okay, well, give us the, you know, give us the Viper for some more time and let's see what we can do. And they set a freaking lap record for, for production cars because... Yes, it's hard to drive, but that's the point of these cars. They're not meant to be easy. It's a it's a flawed design, massive uh, front engine and rear wheel drive. We all know that mid engine. By the way, mid engine Corvette coming out soon. That's something that we should talk about. It's on the radar. Whoop whoop. Mid engine <laughs> Corvette. However, they've also been saying for the last forty years that they're going to release a mid engine Corvette. So I think now they are prepped more than ever to release one. Also, because we saw a mule being driven around in camo mm-hmm. with uh, with mid engine markings. So. I, I think that it's been in production, and they know that the only way to move forward to surpass the, the what they've already set, they're at the limits of uh, of performance for rear rear wheel drive, front engine. I think mid engine is is their next step. Um, so, as far and, as long, there's one more thing: yeah. the V10 and the Viper. Oh, Where are you going to get that fire breathing? And in, in, in an American car, yeah. And it's not for for that for a price like that. I it's mean, not supercharged either, is it? No, no, it's naturally aspirated. naturally aspirated. So yeah, that's Dodge is a fan of the naturally aspirated yeah. engines. Oh yeah, they cool. they only NA supercharge. Or no way, you know, hmm? NA or no way. Well, no, the the Demon is supercharged, and so is the yeah, Hellcat, but it, and NA so is the Trackhawk. No NA or no way. I like that one. I'm gonna use that. NA or no way. NA or no way. Yeah, in addition to my others. It sounds sayings. sounds like another language, um, but so as far as longevity for the brand, you're gonna see you're gonna see uh, Corvette stick around. Eric, no coughing on the podcast. Excuse me. Uh, but you're going to see the Corvette stick around. Of course, um, the the Viper is is discontinued again. Uh, they seem to only sell it in batches for for like three years, mm-hmm. which 
it is what it is. It doesn't have the cultural uh, thing around it like the Corvette does. The Corvette, similar to the Mustang, right? Uh, obviously, a higher level of performance. But uh, yeah, these two cars, it's going to be interesting when they actually do compare them. Um, that's bound to happen once more Z06s get in the hands of journalists. And I don't know if they would. You don't think so? Well, I think that no. they're gonna they're just gonna put pit one pinnacle of, of American performance and against another pinnacle. They fit the they're both track capable, like circuit track capable. And just the, the Viper is so dated at this point. It's dated, but Mikey, it was ahead of its time at the sa- as well. Like it, it's dated by maybe three years in technology, but it's also insanely ahead of its time. It, it was ridiculously fast. The lateral grip that it's capable of mm-hmm. is phenomenal. Not to take anything away from the Z01, the Z06 set uh, production records for lateral grip. Like it was the same lateral grip they were getting from all-wheel drive Hurricanes out of a out of a real drive Z06. So, I mean, Chevy is no slouch with regards to their performance specs either. But it'll just be interesting to see how they perform, and and I guarantee there's going to be some fa- uh, facets of their performance that the the Viper will beat. Uh, the, the Corvette probably not the, the lap time will still probably go to the Corvette but I think that the Viper will hold its own um, it's a fantastic car and of course you still get a beautiful machine regardless um, but maybe let's move on to something that's a little bit more practical still high performance and, uh, and a drift machine a drift machine well it's new for this model of course we're talking about the M5 and we're talking about the M5 specifically one because it's new but also because Eric has a history of M5s Eric why don't you share with the good people why you uh, are enamored with the M5 breed I've always liked it I mean you you go back to the E39 mm-hmm. that is arguably the benchmark what year sports what event. year just so that's that uh, 2000 to 2003 okay and that had so the V8 that or v- v- that one had the I believe it's a f- I, don't, I can't remember the displacement. It's it's a V8. It's a V8. Parker from Vehicle Virgins, I think, started out with yep. with that with that Gen M5. Um, yeah, and that's a solid one. There's a big yeah. following with that mm-hmm. these days. You know, people in the U.S. You can find there's a dealership that they specialize with those older BMWs, and people buy them for like fifty, sixty grand still. Oh yeah, which for a car that cars. old, mm-hmm. that that's wild. But that is the one that they cite whenever a new M5 comes out. They'll always start off the article by saying, what, what was the designation again? E- E39 is like the model number. Yeah. But, yeah. E39 M5, because that was one of the best iterations of big luxury saloon, German saloon car with impeccable performance, highway cruising, handling, like it was it was an impeccable car. Yeah. And, it, and it brought two worlds together. Um, we are all big fans of the V10 M5 that sold in the late 2000s. Yeah. Uh, fantastic That's car a with one. a V10. You can you can option it with a V10 manual. How like can you uh, for for me when I hear V10 and manual together in a regular car, I think that's incredible because if you guys heard V10s before, they they scream. I'd really um, want to drive one of those. I mean, I, oh, I yeah. think it'd be a blast. Oh yeah, for sure. I just unstoppable torque. Um, and then obviously, 2014, I think they updated the M5 to the F body or is it, is it considered? An yeah. F-body? So that one, yeah, that one, they changed a little bit. That mm-hmm. one, I think a lot of people, well, the enthusiasts at least thought BMW kind of lost their mm-hmm. way. It was a lot fatter in a sense. It was yeah. a much heavier car. Um, it was made more for comfort. And then I think sport. Yeah. So, yeah. I mean, they did have like, they have like competition package, stuff like that, but I think people were a little bit disappointed. Sorry. The enthusiasts. That's the thing. The, the regular population will still buy it. Mm-hmm. This is the latest, greatest. They're going to get it. You see a lot on the road. Uh, but yeah, the enthusiasts were like, you know, 
what what's going on here, right? And it's be whenever you re, that's an enthusiast car. The car has a cult following. Yeah, exactly. Um, but the reason why we're talking about this car today is because 2018 they have. Would you call this a minor refresh, guys? I, I think it's more that the bones of it is. Yeah. I don't think it, it's definitely more of an overhaul. Mm-hmm. But you probably won't see as much. Yeah. You'll, you'll feel it when you're driving. For sure. Because I was going to say, if you park this 2018 M5 beside a 2014. You'll, you'll know. Uh, yeah. Like when I picture it in my head, I can't really see too much of a difference though. Because the, the body lines are, are fairly similar. But yeah, it has it has updated the front end to like the new BMW front it's fascia. More of the seven series. Yes, yes, in in with the front grille, mm-hmm. and uh, I I mean you guys know how I feel about uh, the, this newest gen of uh, BMW design. I think it's a little bit lackluster compared to previous years. Uh, they seem to focus a lot more on um, accents more than basic design. We see Mercedes and Audi taking up the that those reins right now, but. Uh, the reason why people are talking about this car is because of the performance. Incredible. And one of its most distinct features, I think a first, I, I don't know if any other vehicle does this as well. Uh, all-wheel drive, drivetrain, but can send all power to the rear wheels to initiate skids. That's yeah, realistically. Yeah, that very cool. Yeah, I mean, when people ask, well, well what's the point of that? Realistically, it's only to initiate drifting. It's That, right? but then also allows them to, like, for example, the Mercedes, their all-wheel drive, the Audis. It allows them to stay relevant in those conversations yeah. in terms of performance. But it's like, hey, like you said, if you want to you know, have a little bit of fun, just kind of toss out the back end, you switch into the rear-wheel drive mode, mm-hmm. then you're good to go. Exactly. Previous to this, they were only available in rear-wheel drive. Is that right? Yeah, that's okay. correct. So yeah, that, that's that makes sense. They're they're modernizing the car and still maintaining. I think this is probably wow zero. <laughs> Mike yeah, no, is wild drawing. Wild. Yeah, zero to sixty in two point eight seconds. I'm not I'm not one for just reading off uh, specs or anything, but like that that is supercar levels of quick. It's the fastest. Yeah, I think it's faster than all the other. Uh, tied with the P90D. Really? Mm-hmm. Wow. I, I didn't so, consider that one. Suck on that, Elon. That you. You brilliant, beautiful man. You can't hate Elon Musk. You can't hate him. Like no, as much as I want to see, great. yeah. Great. But but you know, I I also want to see cars that make noise destroy Teslas. I just want to I want to see I want to see a BMW M5 take the the snooty guy who can afford a P90D or P100D in this case. But, take your take your environmental tax credits. Yeah, shove them. Um, there you but, go. No, yeah, I, see, when you said the the M5 has the the feature to change it to solely rear wheel drive. Um, I thought the E63 had something like that. I think I mentioned that to you, Eric, yeah, the other day. You did. Um, I think it's the drift mode that the E63 has. It like negates everything and sends all the power to the back as well. It, it or maybe assists in getting out the back end. I'm not sure, but there. That's what I'm reading now. It mimics the Mercedes AMG E63s drift mode. Yeah, so I think the reason why it's so important for... Uh, I'm like a parrot on Mikey's shoulder right now. Uh, I think the reason why it's so important for the BMW is that it had a long history of being rear-wheel drive. Right. And now they're adding the all-wheel drive drivetrain to compete with insane 0-60 to 60 times and also practicality. Because that was a big worry mm-hmm. with enthusiasts. Of they know next one's going to be all-wheel drive. They're saying, oh, it's going to be heavier, this and that. They kept the weight in check. I think they shaved a couple hundred pounds off it and mm-hmm. they... He said they were able to do everything, so they made everybody happy. In yeah, end. yeah. I mean, good on them because, as far as we know, BMW has been a little bit lackluster in a lot of ways. Yeah, um, agreed. But but this is with the M2 and especially the M2. Um, what was it? 
the one that we looked at last week, M2, or two weeks ago, M2 competition, gorgeous and outstanding performance. Now they got a new M5 that's matching it. All, all we're waiting for is an, is an updated M4 and M3, and I think that they'll have uh, redefined themselves uh, for this this coming decade after uh, some some sparse some sparse performance in the last one. All right. Um, but yeah, you guys have any other thoughts on uh, on the 2018 M5? We like it. I'm impressed. Agree. Drifts yeah. for days. Yes, I'm at, impressed. Realistic. Well, they did release a press video where it drifted for what was it? 24 hours or something like that. No, like eight hours there. Eight hours. Just I don't insane. know. Was that? Oh, you didn't see that? No. Jeez. We're definitely gonna take. A How did now. they change tires? They or they did. didn't. Go bald. Jeez. I saw them refueling. That was cool. They had, while one M5 was drifting, they had another M5 drift alongside oh, really? it to refuel. <laughs> yeah, like it, it's a really cool video, but, uh, you know, beyond the fact that it's cool, I guess you wouldn't even have to worry about tires because, well, my, yeah, Mikey's pulling it up here. Um, eight hours. Eight hours. You wouldn't have to worry about tires if the ground's wet. They'll they'll yeah, wear significantly wet. less uh, than they would if the ground was dry. You, would only, you wouldn't even make it through an hour if the ground was dry. For eight, but eight hours uh, going in a circle and keeping your focus, that's that man must have had a ton of Adderall in his system to to maintain that level of precision for for that long. That'd be fun. I'd do that. Yeah. That's, a, that's a whole work day. I'd rather be doing that than my job. <laughs> this comment. Go ahead. I'd like I'd love to read it. Um, it says, so I guess my next video will be me drifting my E90 into a light pole while my friend chases me in his GMZ Envoy with a can of gas. <laughs> <laughs> because that's the beauty of America. Um, but yeah, so very nice BMW. Congratulations. Maybe if you want to send us a couple of demos, that would be Let's nice. That'd be great. Yeah. Record attempt. Are you still reading uh, the promotional video comments? Yeah, I think that at this point, we're going to wrap up our car talk, maybe move on into watch talk. Before then, we'll take a little bit of a break, refresh ourselves with some water and a little bit of caffeine. Werther's Originals. With some Werther's Originals. Eric's favorite. <laughs> we'll see you guys soon. And we're back uh, from our short little break. And I guess we can jump straight into watches now that we've discussed cars for the last little bit. Um, Mikey beside me, always with the with the tricks over here. Um, but uh, should we do, we Eric, your first time on the show, and I don't think you've ever made it this far into listening to a podcast. We typically do a wristwatch check at this point. Um, so in typical uh, time watch fashion, we will let our guests start with the wristwatch check. So right now I'm wearing my uh, Omega Speedmaster Racing. Mm, tasty. Um, yeah, it's actually a very nice piece. I got it for my uh, university graduation. So, I mean, it has sentimental value there. Of course. But uh, the watch itself is a solid watch. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, the movement's pretty accurate. It's COSC certified. Mm-hmm. Cosk, um, yeah, in exactly. other words. Exactly. No one has ever said that, but yeah. What do you mean? Well, no, they just have. Watch Finder they says Cosk all the time. Really? Just have. Yeah. Really? It's so annoying. Yeah. I, I thought... I thought yeah, no, I didn't. I've, it, it's the it's how they say. It's, I've never like I've always heard Cosk because really? it, they just oh. say Cosk. Sure. Cosk and I forget the other governing body that the times uh, the one um, that they do for dive watches, but it's another abbreviation that they call by like the the, the name of the abbreviation. <laughs> if you guys just heard that squealing noise, it was Mikey removing his sunglasses. Very what nice a weird shades, noise! By the way. Yeah, very nice. Ferragamo. But anyway, back to the. Uh, Back to the watch here. Yeah, so I have this. So it's a um, a chronograph. But yeah, like I said, it, it, it's very accurate. It, it stays within the limits. Mm-hmm. Um, I think we talked before. The main thing is on the winders. It's a lot uh, tougher. 
when you actually put it on there after a while, if it sits on there for too long, I think you guys have both noticed, you guys both have winders as well, mm-hmm. it'll start to lose time. So I think yeah. it's just the way it rotates. I know some movements are different. Some of them have to be moving one way or the other when they're on a winder. Mm-hmm. So depending on the winder you put it on, sometimes it can start losing time. That's really the only time it'll go out of whack. But if I'm actually wearing it day to day, it'll stay within whatever the... yeah. The standard. Yeah, yeah the course. standard. Exactly. The Which standard. you'd expect from like the, the, this movement is, is Omega's bread and butter. It's a coaxial movement. It's exactly. it's what they what they pride themselves on. Um, exactly. Funny thing about winders, by the way, I think a lot of people don't like pop culture has told us that if you own an automatic, you need a winder. I don't even have one. It, to correct you, I don't have one. I, I, well, I, I misused my winder. I would leave my Hamilton on, on the winder, my Tissot on the winder for like weeks at a time. Yeah, that's what I usually do. But the whole point is like the movement you'll you'll need to service it more often if you do that. Obviously, oh, okay. you shouldn't leave a watch sitting for like two years without being used. But constantly wind like keeping it on a winder, keeping moving, it moving, right. yeah, is 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 if you're wearing it every single day. Yeah, you'll need I to service it at a sooner interval. The winder is more for someone who maybe rotates between watches and knows that they're going to have to keep it set. They they don't want to fumble around uh, with time-wise, especially if you have a perpetual calendar. That's something you would need to keep on a winder because, hell, you you know how difficult it is to set a perpetual calendar. So that's something where winders are, are... they're still nice to have. They keep your, your automatic in time. But if you wear your automatic every day, you don't need to keep it on a winder because the power reserve should last you the night. And keeping it winding constantly will wear the movement, especially if you're not wearing it. So like my Hamilton, I'd wear once a month, but I kept it on the winder constantly. Sure, it never lost time, but that's a month where I wasn't wearing it and it was still the movement was still being used. So now it's four years in and I'm probably overdue for a service. I just have to find time to bring it in. But uh, one well, thing that's good that, to know. Yeah, a lot a lot of people don't know that about winders is that they're fantastic. But if use them if you need to keep the watch in time, they also are great holders for watches. Right, you can keep watches there to look pretty and and sit out. You don't always need to be winding them. Um, but yeah, no, on, on the winder, that's what it does. It'll it'll make it skip ahead if it's rotating. It's winding itself, and the watch is now running in different positions. Mm-hmm. Oh, okay. If it I stops it, mean. so like some watches are adjusted to five positions. Let's say. It's because they they keep time in crown down, crown up, crown or face down, face up. Those are the positions they've been adjusted to. Um, and speaking of adjustment, I promised I would talk about Ming very briefly. The Ming was adjusted to five positions. Shout out to Ken Ming Chan, who is uh, one of Ming the Mingaristis or Ming executives. I'm not too Again, sure. Mingaristi, that's a word. We a word created. we we co-opted, but uh, yes, shout out. He's in Canada and he's enjoying our beautiful country. Uh, Ken Ming Chan, I hope you have a fantastic time uh, eating all the poutine and seeing all the mooses and the mountains meese, and meese. meese is the the plural for the, moose. The, the proper word. Yes, uh, and uh, shout out to Ming. I promise we do that. Um, and Ken Ming. Uh, back to Eric, our, our guest. Sorry for rudely interrupting you Before with talk. Before we get into his watches, what are you wearing today? Well, do you want oh, well, you want to round out the wristwatch check? Yeah. Oh, of course. Well, I so I I, I miss this guy. Wow, rude. <laughs> I miss <laughs> I miss uh, wearing my SKX. So I've actually got some time with the Aqua Racer, which I uh, I used to wear every day. I think I've talked about it on the show before. My Aqua Racer on a bracelet. It's uh, circa like 2000 and I'd say eight. 
Um, so it's before uh, the the revamping of, of Tag. This is still like an older gen. It doesn't look like the current gen Aqua Racer, uh, but it's a fantastic little quartz piece. I love it. I'm excited to take it to Aruba in a couple of weeks. I'm going to wear this as my as my daily. I like to baby it a little bit now because I've had the bracelet polished because um, it was pretty scuffed up. But at the same time, you know, yes, it was my it was my confirmation watch and it has sentimental value, but it's also a, a solid timepiece. And if I'm going to Aruba, I won't mind wearing this in the ocean, stuff like that. It's built for it. Um, so, yeah, uh, Aqua Racer for me today. Tag. Nice. How about yourself? Panerai. Panerai, classic. With one, one of three with Mikey. Oh, wow. No, that's where... Uh... Mingaristi comes from because you know Panaristi. Of course, of course. But you all know which Panera I have. Don't have to explain it. Now you're just fueling some uh, fire for him to go buy another one. I oh, try it's happening every week to do that. It's happening, Eric. It's happening. It's happening. I'd like to be there when it happens. So. Okay, it'll happen. Perfect. Um, but yeah, Eric, let's get back to you. So yeah, so I had the Omega there. Um, I have it on a bracelet. I think I've told you guys before. I prefer the actual bracelets. Mm-hmm. I find it's a little bit more comfortable. I don't feel. I don't know. It just feels more secure. I know uh, Michael here doesn't uh, agree with me, but too it, bad. Br- there, there's good bracelets and there's bad bracelets. I think um, bracelets, like uh, the most comfortable bracelets people say are always the Jubilee bracelets. Mm-hmm. And some people don't like the look of them. Oyster bracelets. So basically Ro- Rolex, I guess, co-opted the Oyster bracelet. And there's a lot of bracelets that replicate that. I'd consider this style similar to a, an Oyster bracelet where the links are, are pretty flexible. Um it depends, right? Like if you're in a business setting, I think bracelets always a go-to because it's not going to, it's going to give you some movement on the wrist, which is nice. If you're wearing a suit, you'll be able to move your watch a little bit. Whereas leather straps tend to just stick in one position. They don't, unless they're not worn in, they kind of, then they kind of float around. But once they're worn in, they stick. And when you're wearing a suit, sometimes that can get in the way. Uh, so I, I definitely appreciate a bracelet in that respect. And they are, they are like really the most functional watch strap. Uh, rubber's nice, but it doesn't really fit every occasion. Like I think for wear, the bracelet is nice. Like I, I'm not mm-hmm. worried about like the like leather wearing out anything mm-hmm. like that. It, that's why it feels more sturdy to me. Yeah, you know, for even sure. If I get it, if I if I get it wet or something, mm-hmm. you're not gonna be like, oh, what what happened to the leather? This is like okay, wipe it off, keep going. Yeah, exactly. Right? It, it is definitely the most practical uh, band. Um, oh, maybe rubber would be a little bit more practical because you can like rubber, it can be abused. Um, and it won't scuff or scratch. The only thing I will say uh, about bracelets, if I had the the bracelet on my SKX at the time, it would never have fallen face first from a meter high. It's because I had the leather strap on it with the with the misfitting spring bars that it that it fell. So, and that's a case where I, I wore it daily. I shouldn't have rocked the leather strap when I did, uh, and my SKX would be working right now. But it's okay. We will get that fixed. Uh, so beyond the uh, Speedy, what else? Uh, what else do you have yeah, in the so collection? Yeah, Speedmaster Racing. Then I have my uh, Hamilton Jazzmaster GMT. This mm-hmm. one was actually very interesting. I didn't see it online. Mm-hmm. I, I mean, it's on the website and everything, but I didn't see it when I was looking. I was looking for either the Jazzmaster, the Day Date. I was looking at some Bomb and Mercedes as well, mm-hmm. and then I went to to go in and actually look at the watches in person, and I noticed this GMT was there. So you know what? Let me give it a shot. Mm-hmm. Um, I bought it and it's so far it's been pretty good. It has the actual uh, wheel with the time zones on the outside. Okay. So it has a separate crown that actually moves that around and then so you lock it. So an inner rotating bezel. Exactly. Yeah. So I can move it around to to whatever. The the main thing that's confusing about it sometimes is just 
I mean, it'll, it's easy. If you read the manual, it'll tell you exactly what to do. But if you're going to adjust stuff, like for example, if you're going to adjust the GMT hand, like the second time zone, everything like that, there's specific ways you need to spin the crowns. Yeah. Uh, but I mean, other than that, open case back, which is good. My Omega doesn't have it. Mm. I mean, it's not a deal breaker, but it's just nice to see the movement, right? It's a oh, little of course. Bit of, uh, the movement is like art, right? Yeah, yeah. So they try to style it up, and I like that I can see it on the Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Um, that one's on a leather strap. It is a butterfly clasp. I, I do like it. Like leather strap, some watches, you know, they have to be on leather, mm-hmm. right? Um, or silicone, whatever. Um, that one's pretty good. I think it could probably be a little bit better. But I mean, overall, for the price that I paid for that watch, it's perfect. It does a job for me. Mm-hmm. I think it was the best watch at the time. Because I never wanted to buy duplicates until I kind of had one of each, right? So something that could be as, as dressy and a couple functions, chronograph, more casual, mm-hmm. and then a dive watch, which I'm still kind of in the process of. Because I have an older tag. Um, it's, it's an older aqua racer, basically. It's a quartz one, which is mm-hmm. still good. Quartz, it keeps time. It, it does everything it needs to yeah. do. It's just I want to get something in automatic for a dive watch. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, I know we've been looking at a couple models. Just a matter on when to pull the trigger, I guess, for yeah, that Yeah, there's a lot out there. And that's, I think, the, the, the hardest part about finding a watch, like finding a, a daily diver. There are so many options. If you want to go Swiss, if you want to go micro brand, uh, if you want to go Japanese, like you, you're, you're flooded with options. It's really about uh, what, what do you like, what fits the budget, and, I mean, do you have a place for it? And, and I'm like you. My, Mikey's very different than than you and me when it comes to selecting uh, what kind of watches. I'll speak for him here. Um, I'll yeah, speak on no, his we're, behalf. We're down a mic. So. We're down a mic. But when uh, I'm like you where I like to have a watch for every occasion. That's how I buy. Like that's I, I sometimes have just like, a, an, like an impulse, which I had with the Ming. I didn't really need it. It's sort of casual and it could be dressy, but... I bought that on impulse, but I like to fill my ranks, right? I like having a diver, a dress watch, a chronograph, and uh, you know, all I'm missing, I don't have a GMT, um, so I've, I've often thought about filling that rank, right? And and like you said, you do the same. Mikey uh, has often expressed on the podcast, he just, he'll buy what he likes. doesn't matter if, what, what it's going to fill. He'll you'll just buy what you like, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, sorry. I, I knew I said I was going to speak for you there, but then I turned the mic to you. Oh. Well, no, it's just if like the way I see it is if I like exactly that, if, if I like the watch, I'm not going to not buy it because I've already filled that that void. You know what I mean? Like that, that, that spot. It, so you're speaking more about not allowing that to stop you from buying a watch. Right. Yeah. I, I think me and Eric are saying that's more how we buy watches. Right. It's not that it would ever stop us from buying something we like. It's not like, oh. I like that, but I can't because I already have a diver. It's yeah. more like, well, my next watch will be this because I'm missing this from my collection. So like like you say, you don't have a diver right now, that an automatic diver. Mm-hmm. You're looking for one. Exactly. That's how you, that's how we... Right. And like yeah. me, I don't necessarily have a diver, but I'm not going to specifically just look for divers because I need to fill that. You know may what I mean? Have a, may have a diver soon. Maybe. We'll but yeah, I, I guess that contradicts what I'm saying. But you know what? Maybe soon. But that's different we'll because you, you, liked, you like that and it just happens to be a diver, right? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, what is all the secrecy here? Why can't Anthony know about this watch? What is this? It's a sub. Know, it's a sub. It, no. No. Was it is it a Panerai diver? No, you're not you gonna drop. I love Panerais. No, we'll we'll talk about it on the podcast if the time comes. Okay. You know. Well I hope I hope I'll know before you actually put the money For down. For the record so I, I don't give... I don't know hundred percent. So Okay. For the record, I don't even know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. No, it's just you know. But um 
but uh, but yeah, so you have the the tag, and the tag is your daily, right? Or was your daily? I'll, I'll switch between that and the Hamilton. Mm-hmm. Uh, lately, I've been using the tag a little bit more, mainly because I notice this is just it's not really a watch thing, but I've noticed the the Hamilton. I think the butterfly clasp has been kind of rubbing against some of the um, the leather. The, the, no, no, on my on my shirts, on oh, my dress shirts, okay. on the this on the cuff. Yeah, mm-hmm. so I'm gonna try and get a new strap for it i want to see if that kind of helps it but that that's pretty much it other I, than that i will i will switch between both i will say uh because because especially one thing i learned about straps the world is literally your oyster when it comes to straps uh, a lot of people will think okay well i gotta go back to to like my my ad and get a, a strap from hamilton you can do that but if you go and look at the books they have it's a very close selection and the problem is with entry-level swiss Part of part of being entry level is that they cut corners on the strap quality. You can find so many better quality leather straps, like really comfortable that wear in nicely in a like many colors that will fit your butterfly, your OEM butterfly clasp, and it just opens up that that world of, of options to you. You can even find ones with the the push uh, push in spring bars, like what Ming sells, and that allows you to do strap changes in seconds. Which you know may not be a big deal if you if you're happy with one thing, but one of the beautiful things about the my Ming and, and the Tissot Viso date that I have is that I, depending on the mood of the night, I, I can change the strap right there, leave it to the last second. Like oh, okay, we're not going to a bar tonight, we're going just someone's house. Okay, I'm gonna put something more playful on. So it, it it really does change the watch and and that ease of use. Just like I was so unhappy with the leather strap that came with my Tissot. And it was so stiff and, and it, it, plasticky. It wasn't. It was not the the strap I wanted. Uh, once I put like a suede on there or a nubuck strap, it just changed the watch totally. It makes it seem like a more expensive piece than it is, or a more sporty piece than it is. So that's that's my advice there. If you're looking for a new strap, try looking online mm-hmm. and seeing what what you could find that'll still fit your OEM uh, bracelet. And that's, uh, or your OEM, sorry, buckle, because that is one of the best things about the OEM is they come on these buckles that are phenomenal. Like it's way better than wrenching a strap through a, what do you call it? Through a, that's the old, the old, the old clasp buckle. Yeah. Yeah. And I'll definitely have to take a look Mm -hmm. for sure. And then, uh, yeah, you'll get, you'll get lost in that crown and buckles. Good. I bought from them. Um, Ming was my favorite because I got three straps for 250 bucks and they're all like really good quality. Um, in and Montreal, they, there's combat straps. Yes. And one that I really want to look into, they do like custom stuff. Yeah. So shout out to a Canadian strap maker, combat straps. Um, but yeah, one thing I want to speak about as far as Omega is concerned. Um, I actually had a customer come in the other day wearing a Seamaster and I I noticed uh, it on his wrist. It was in like I could tell it was an early two thousand Seamaster. It was not the professional. Uh, it was a black face Seamaster. I, I don't know the exact model, but I pointed out. I said, "Wow, that's a that's Seamaster, right? It's gorgeous." And he's like, "Yeah, I bought this ten years ago for my thirtieth birthday." He's like, "I wear it every day, um, and I love it, but uh, I think it's time for a Rolex." And that, and I, you know, I, I agreed to them. I was like, oh yeah, you know, Rolex is like, it's a step up. And, and he's like, yeah, yeah, you know, like uh, 30th is the Omega, 40th is the Rolex. And what I wanted to, because you obviously have an Omega and we know, we, we all know a lot about Rolex here. We, we speak about it a lot. One of the things I want to point out is, is this cultural, uh, this collective thinking 
um, that they that people have placed Omega underneath Rolex on on that kind of scale. When in reality, if you there's actually a really cool video put out by Watchfinder. We've we've spoken about this YouTube channel in the past, Watchfinder UK. He compared uh, an Omega, I believe an Omega uh, GMT, or maybe no, no, it was an Omega Perpetual Calendar, Perpetual Date, maybe Perpetual Date. Mm-hmm. That's what it was with a Rolex Perpetual Date, and he explained the reasoning behind the why there's a, a price difference between the two brands in 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 similar models, and why there is more desire, why there's more want for the Rolex, but the reality is that the Omega movement and, and the quality of the Omega sometimes, like they're on, a, on another level of technology and refinement. Rolex is, they make beautiful watches, but let's not get anything mixed up here. They have benefited a lot from marketing and what, what people desire at the time. Omega's coaxial movement, this is a movement that, if you guys don't know, I'm just gonna go into the, like, the, the history about that movement for a second. There was a watch uh, watchmaker in, I think, the early uh, 70s or 80s. Spent his whole life trying to refine the mechanical watch. Unfortunately, at the time, the mechanical watch was pretty well, you know, as robust as it could be. He found one flaw in the mechanical watch, and it was uh, it had to do with the uh, with the way that the I believe I'm not again I'm not a watchmaker. It's the way that the the parts interacted with each other. It was a sliding motion versus a uh, a pushing motion. So he developed a way to make it less to make less friction in the movement, and that's what the coaxial movement is based on. He first went to Patek Philippe, and they gave him a hard time. They sent him back and forth five times, and eventually told him, "You know what? We're not putting the coax your coaxial movement in our watch." So feeling, you know, you know, shut down by Patek Philippe, he went to Omega and Omega embraced him. And now that is their defining characteristic of their watch. And this is the latest big improvement to the mechanical watch, right? The coaxial movement. It, it helps with longevity. It helps with servicing and helps with timekeeping. So that, that, that's packed into the, into the Omega. I mean, that is a huge horological importance that you do not get with, with a Rolex. You don't get a coaxial movement in a Rolex. You get other things. Right, you get the fact that it says Rolex. You get great materials, and now you can get an oyster steel. But you—is that the one that he's thinking about buying? I saw that look. No, no, no. no I was okay. just no. Sorry, just no. no. <laughs> um, but anyway, so that's uh, my point. Is Omega? I, I, I can easily see myself buying a Seamaster or Speedmaster over a Sub or a Daytona. Really? Easily, easily, because I know that the things that I care about in watchmaking are there in the Omega and had a substantial reduction in price, especially now. So uh, my, my thing is, what do you guys think about that? What do you guys think about the fact that Omega has sort of been kept in a relatively, uh, a relatively attainable bubble while packing huge amounts of, of performance and value, whereas Rolex has sort of been inflated to this this monster of uh, of luxury watchmaking that uh, people are willing to spend twenty two thousand dollars on on a special edition Rolex that really shares shares nothing over the entry level uh, entry level model like it, it, they but people are willing to do it because of of the, what it commands in a in a in a cultural aspect. What do you guys think about that? What are your thoughts? I know um, it's a lot packed in there. No, no, for sure. And it, it's while you're saying it, I'm thinking about it too, right? Like you said, a lot of it for Rolex is the marketing. And, and I mean, 
it's not to get anything wrong. They make solid watches. The watches are great. I aspire to get one too. Mm-hmm. But it is important what you say of, you know, the technology side. And I think Omega being part of Swatch Group, they have a lot of resources they can go and do that, yeah. right? Mm-hmm. Um and they, and they made a lot of a lot of cool watches. I mean, they had they overhauled the smash. They had those uh, the new moon phase ones. Oh yeah. Know? So I think those yeah. are really cool. I really liked them. Those came out. Um, another one too is they have the Globemaster. So that one has an even higher certification, the Metas one. Mm-hmm. So I think that one's really cool because it's a lot. I think it's like nine different things that they have to meet to to get this certification. And that Globemaster is the one they featured against the Rolex Date Just Perpetual Date. Yeah, so I mean uh, yeah. the the Glowmaster, I mean, it's solid, and eventually, I mean, it's going to trickle down to the other mm-hmm. the other watches as well, mm-hmm. right? But I was really impressed with that because, like you said, they're going above and beyond. They're saying you know the technology, and technology mm-hmm. is important. And like I said, we're speaking with the cars; it's important there, and it's just as important here, right? Mm-hmm. So I think that's definitely uh, something to keep an eye on. So I mean, yeah, I think I think Omega. It's just yeah, I think the marketing is just not. I don't know if it's not there. I mean, if you ask the average person, they're going to know Rolex. Omega, they might know, they might not know. Mm-hmm. But that shouldn't be taking away from, like you said, the actual merits of the products themselves. But, I mean, over time, I think that'll happen. A lot of it, like you said, it, it will be marketing, right? So, I think Omega, if they go maybe more aggressive, something with their marketing. I, I haven't seen exactly how their marketing is now. Mm-hmm. But, I mean, they definitely have the products to back it up if they were to say, you know, let's go toe-to-toe, right? For and sure. I know they try to do, but... They're, they're still at status, right? It, it's it's tough. It's almost like, um, I'm trying to think. It's it's almost like Reebok going toe-to-toe with Lululemon. Uh, you have uh, Reebok or, or Nike any or even Adidas. They have all the technology and all, all the, they, they can build and make a great product. But Lululemon is just, that is what people will spend the money on because that's what they know and that's what they want signed on, on them that's what they want right. to wear that's what they want they people to see the them athletes in. wearing and i was going to say that about mm-hmm. rolex is all these famous people not necessarily even rolex's ambassadors just famous people uh rappers artists this uh, athletes everyone's wearing a rolex mm-hmm. so that allows rolex to inflate their price that much more because they know people are just going to buy their product yeah. anyway mm-hmm. um well, which supply and demand right exactly we've talked about that before with rolex mm-hmm. um it's just that i think you got it's hard now because even like the 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 supply of Rolex I think isn't even there, so no. that inflates the resale value of these things that much more as well, mm-hmm. and it just kind of you can walk into any store and buy an Omega. You can order one; they're readily available at any time. Um, so I don't know. Yeah, it just uh, it hit me that day. You know, this guy's wearing what I thought like again. This is this is a, a t- at least ten year old Seamaster in immaculate condition he could tell he wore it every day but sapphire glass and a really nice stainless steel case kept it well uh and it looked great on his wrist like it was the first thing i saw about him and maybe because i've looked into seamasters for so long i can pick up on them immediately the helium escapement valve is one of the first things um but it it just that that idea that, that he said oh you know well omega for the 30s rolex for the 40s yeah well what well what rolex just because it's more expensive, I mean, honestly, for the money you're spending on that Rolex, you get a nice Jaeger, and and Again, that's it's, something it's you're now you're grandfather a, levels of of cool. It's the idea of having a Rolex. That, <laughs> yeah, that's the epitome. Yeah, but that's also a lack of understanding of the watch world. You 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 come to understand that Rolex so, isn't the epitome. So right? we live well, much like in, in in the car world too. We live in a time where the uninitiated are ma- are making the, are are adjusting the market to what it is because right. obviously 
the vast majority of people buying Rolexes are not watch enthusiasts. They are simple people who have reached a point in their life, aspire, and get it. Not to say that it's not, it is definitely an aspirational watch. Of Rolex course. is yeah, still yeah, yeah. a fantastic piece. But yeah, there's, there's something uh, about it that it, when, I, when I think, if I'm putting my own money down, if I'm putting down, you know, uh, uh, over $4,000 on a watch, I think that I'd be more inclined at this point to either do a, a Seamaster or a Speedmaster over the equivalent. Sub's a little bit difficult because I really like the sub, but I, w- I think I'd do uh, Speedy over, over a Daytona. I honestly think I would. I'd have to agree. That I've never thought of necessarily speedy over daytona just yeah i mean i have one i don't have it mine's not the one that would compete with the daytona if i were to to put that in a scenario Mm -hmm. Um, but i mean definitely seeing the movement yeah on the omega like it's it's a it's a like i said before it's a piece of art Mm -hmm. and that one specifically is just all the parts together it just looks great yeah rolex doesn't do sapphire uh case back no yeah no i mean i'm sure you can get it added but it's they, it's they don't something. decorate it for that yeah it's just going to look basic mm-hmm. right um so yeah no that's that's tough but you know what on the the technology merits yeah probably yeah. speedmaster mm-hmm. especially the value you can get a speedmaster like well, you guys know this my favorite speedmaster is the sapphire sandwich i'd get a manual wound because you see the whole movement at that point and and i think really it still is a is a is a very it's not as technologically advanced as the self-winding automatic but it's still a, a great watch. And you can get that, that watch for 9,000 Canadian. What's less, the, less, less, less. what yeah. did they say? Probably Seven? The moon 75? Yeah. 5,600. 5, really? Yeah. Pretty sure. Hmm. Okay. okay. The, the manual wound mechanical version. Yes. 5,600. 56. You sure it's not the Hasselite one? The Hasselite crystal? That, that may be. I think that is the Hasselite crystal. You can still get the Sapphire sandwich with actual Sapphire. Because you're probably, I think you're looking around six to seven. Regardless. Yeah. Either way, the deal is there. Yeah, because the yeah. Uh, the an equivalent Rolex uh, Daytona is what double the price. Yeah. At if you least. can get your hands on, like one. A, if a you can find one, steel one would be like what, like sixteen Canadian Canadian dollars. Yeah, 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 yeah. you'd probably get around there. And yeah. you look at the tax and everything too. Damn tax, but <laughs> it, it, it's it's true, right? And then yeah. like you're saying, are you going to wait that long? And it's like you know what, I have a, a watch here that is just as good, if not mm. better. I would say. Uh, just as much of a cultural icon at this point. Oh yeah. Speedies are they flood Instagram. I see more speedy photos than I do Daytona photos. But again, it's that it's that old school way of thinking that this is your this is your Rolex. This is the this is the watch you're gonna hand down to your son. Yeah. And he's gonna say, hey, this is a Daytona. What is Daytona? I don't know, but it's a Daytona. Get the fuck out of here. <laughs> I know, I'm sorry. But it just that's the thing that, that gets me. And maybe it's because I grew up in a family where a family member of mine was always, Rolex is Rolex is Rolex. You know, so I maybe that's why I come from such a combative standpoint where I get, you know, I get fired up about this kind of stuff. Well, that's what I want to see. I want to I rock a Omega and be like, see this? Higher cost rating than you're. Better yet, put on a Ming. Hey. There you go. There's some... But I just wanted to Solid. add a quick point, sort of what you're saying. See, there you're adding the sentimental value to it, right? Yes. So I think if the situation was still with Omega, I think it would still have the same standing. You know what I mean? So As if, if, if you were to a... say, if your dad had an Omega, so I'm going to pass on you, you would still oh, treat 100%. that the same. Oh, 100%. That, that's what I mean. You yeah. would still treat it in the same regard, right? Yeah. You would still look at it as the same because that it, there's a sentimental value attached. But even Ben Clymer. From an uneducated standpoint. Would that person still see it the same on Omega versus a Rolex? 
It'll yeah, nah, no, I, I would agree with what yeah, you're saying there. Yeah. They, they wouldn't see it the same. Um, but he, Ben Clymer famous, uh, famously was gifted a Speedmaster from his grandfather, and he has talked about it many times. Um, so that's just an example of, uh, of, of, you know, this is, again, a, a Speedmaster from the 60s or 70s. Mm-hmm. Uh, but, again, being passed down as a, uh, as a memento or a, a, what do you call it? Yeah, like a memento keepsake. Yeah. Memento, yeah. yeah. Uh, but yeah, I mean, either way, yeah, both beautiful watches. One overpriced at the moment, in my opinion. The other Definitely fantastic, uh, inflated, uh, yeah. yeah, the other one's fantastic for what it is. But uh, but yeah, so otherwise, uh, any any other watch uh, news going on? Any other stuff? Well, that all stemmed from Eric's Hamilton. <laughs> yeah, I know. My gosh, how far how far we've come? Do you have, so? Let's talk more because you you were speaking about uh, trying to find a new value proposition for a daily or something to replace a daily. Yeah. Um. Any any key uh, items so out there that you're looking at? I know. I spoke. I spoke to both of you guys about this. Um. Yeah. I was trying to keep a budget. Now I might be thinking. You know what? Maybe I'll just keep saving more and more and kind of see what's out there. But looking at the value proposition. I don't want to call them budget watches because I don't want to cheapen what they are because they're yeah. still solid mm-hmm. for the price points and even above their price yeah. point, right? I mean, we were talking about the Oris, the Diver 65, and I found this. Um, it was a, a micro brand, Zelos, a Mako mm-hmm. 500. We talked about it. So that one had a Salita movement. Uh, was it 500? I think it was 500 meters yep. of yep. the diving um, water resistance. Sorry. Mm-hmm. You have the Sapphire Crystal. The, the loom was good. Everything looked good on it. I've watched a couple of videos. It wasn't too much because, like I said, it's a micro branch. There's not many out there. Mm-hmm. And they had it, it. It's done now. But they had it where every time you buy, they have a certain allotment at different prices. So when mm-hmm. I was looking at it, it was about 430 US. So we calculated to bring it over here to have it to my door, probably be six, 650, maybe 700 total. Yeah. So for that, that would have been perfect. I ended up pulling the trigger on it, and the price actually went up. Now it's a seven forty nine US. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. yeah exactly. That, so it'll stay there, I think, until it's sold. Because it was like mm-hmm. a crowd crowdfunding thing. We talked about it on the podcast. Yeah, because they had it in, in crowdfunding, and then obviously they have the site set up. You can see it, but they've been, you know, just smashing all the goals that they've had. You know, they they say you know reach. I think it's like ten thousand dollars, for example. They they doubled it. Mm-hmm. it. It's something like that. Those aren't the exact numbers, but just to take a look at it there. So that I thought was really cool. Um, and going back to the Oris, it stemmed from, I looked at the Oris and I was like, you know, I like that watch. And I think that one's around maybe 2,500 Canadian, 2,500 Canadian, something mm-hmm. like that. Yeah, it's tipping the scale of value proposition on that one, I think. Yeah, that one wasn't really much a value proposition, but looking at the value proposition, I look at Zelson and I say, you know, what's bringing me to the Oris? Yeah, especially at 2,500 for what you're, you're getting, effectively a, a modified Salita in the Oris. It's not, you know, it's not a more complicated watch. No. The build quality will probably be a little bit better in the Oris. Oris is known for having very good build quality for the price. Uh, And we've even seen that in in your, uh, in your Oris pilot's watch. Yeah. But yeah, I mean, at $2,500, like that is not a cheap watch by any means. That is a, that is a good chunk of change. And would the Oris give you all of that money back? I don't think to so. Say, right? I, I I personally didn't think so, and that's mm-hmm. why I held off on buying the Oris. I looked at the Aquas as well. I actually like that a little bit better than the Diver sixty five. After I came around to that, but mm-hmm. Diver sixty five is like a heritage piece, is it not? Exactly. Yeah, yeah mm-hmm. it's a heritage piece. Was the Aqua that that one? Aquas uh, is more like yeah, like they're newer. 
That's supposed to be like their yeah. main dive watch, right? Exactly. And so I liked some of the details because they, they refresh it. So they had the open case back with uh, higher water resistance as well. Again, I think it was the Salita movement that's modified a little bit. So it's nice, but having, looking back at the price too. So the Oris, the Aquas would be around, I think it's around 2000 I think it's around there for mm-hmm. it. And you look at the Diver 65, 2500 Let's move away from value proposition and look at something like the Tudor, right? Mm-hmm. You have the Black Bay. Yeah. You know, you're, you're looking at that. Oh, for a little bit more, I can get that. Exactly. What is then? Exactly. A little bit more. Than exactly. This, a little bit more. Than exactly. This. Right. You look at the, the Pelagos, and I was like, you know, I like that one too. You know, they have their their new in-house movement, solid power reserve, everything like that, build quality, everything's there. Uh, it's forty-seven hundred. Mm-hmm. Okay, I'm you know there. You're at a triple split. Exactly. Exactly. <laughs> right. Yeah. Triple yeah. split. Triple split. All the way Shout down. Up. Yeah. Right. So that's the thing. You're looking at it, and then, like Trevor Zane said, it becomes a slippery slope. Mm-hmm. You know, when when do you decide that you know, hey, this one I want to cut it off. I I think the only way to to respond to that would be like I'll give you an example. Uh, we would have seen Masters go for between three and four. Uh, I think they can get up up higher. Maybe you can like maybe a get a Master Professional. One. Uh, I'd say you're probably looking like four, five, five six. Yeah. Okay. Probably I, closer five, six. Okay, six. that would be the slipperiest. I'd let my slope go because I know that for the rest of my life I'll be able to say, well, there's my Omega Seamaster. For me, because I, I always picture that as like a, well, that is like a goal, a watch milestone watch. You have to ask yourself, is this watch that I'm slipping, slipping down the slope to, is it going to be a watch that I'm not just finding for the year, a watch that I've thought about for a very long time? The whole the the thing I like about the value proposition, maybe sub 1,000 or sub 1,500, is that it can be an impulse buy because you're going to be able to buy another watch in a relatively soon time that it will be better or more expensive than that. But when you drop like five grand on a watch, if you're a regular person and you're dropping five grand on a Tudor uh, Pelagos, like I, I ho- you want to hope that's a watch you've looked into for a long enough time because yeah. that's, a, that's a major investment. Part of the, like the value proposition has many boxes, right? Um, part of that is like, is it a watch that can justify the cost? Is it a watch that you've, you've it, can it be justified as an impulse buy? And that all comes down to your budget. But that's how I sort of navigate that slippery slope of cost. Mm-hmm. Is it something that I can dish the cash out right now for and not be hit by? Like I'll tell you right now, for a $4,500 tutor, I can't make that on an impulse. I got like, that's something I got to be in love with. Yeah. Um, of I even had a hard time. I so. Yeah. I even had, a t- I fell in love with, I was telling him the Nomos club campus. I loved it for, uh, with the California dial for a lot of reasons, but uh, Canadian, even a used one on uh, watch recon, I could only find for like, 1700 canadian for me that's still too steep for like an impulse if i can find it for 900 done like that's not going to impact me at all i can make that purchase and buy another watch tomorrow but when we get to like almost two thousand dollars then i'm thinking okay well if i buy this now am i going to get my bang for my buck as far as like am i going to be in love with it and that's the hardest part about playing in in the entry level field or what we consider entry level because if they're not goal attainment watches or milestone watches then you want to make sure you're not you screen yourself over and, and investing in a watch that you're going to only like for the time. Right. So, yeah. And that's the thing, right? Let's say like you said, if you buy, if I were to go with, let's say the Oris, but I was like, I want the tutor. I buy and I'm like, I still want the tutor. I've just, like you said, you've essentially kind of screwed yourself out for the short term because mm-hmm. now you have to save that 2000 again, plus what you're looking for. Or yeah. if I had that 2000 already, you know what, save a little bit longer, wait an extra couple months maybe, let's say, mm-hmm. after all other expenses, 
and then I can buy the tutor and then it's like, you know what? I'm good. Mm -hmm. Right. So like you said, it, it is very tough to make that call. Yeah, for sure. And especially if you're looking for a daily, like you want it, then you're going to wear it every day. Um, I, I did want to talk to you guys about, uh, another friend of ours, Spencer. He was gifted a glycine airman. I've come across glycine before. Um, now they are definitely a value Swiss, a value proposition, Swiss brand. Mm -hmm. Um, they do trace their heritage back, I think to the early 1900s, but not a very well-known brand. Most of their watches, I've showed you guys their Instagram, are homage pieces. They are they're modeled after more expensive Swiss watches, but the Airman is is very distinctively its own piece. And I will tell you that in person, it it wears a lot more than I was like when I saw it instantly. Like I, my eyes are drawn to it the same way that they were drawn to that Seamaster. The way it sits on the wrist, it is it is its its own piece. Um, the only thing is it has a glycine, uh, uh, badge on it. Mikey, if you scroll down, I'll, I'll point you to the exact one he has. I believe it's, it's a world timer. Um, it's one of these three. Yeah. It, it was a nice there. watch. Yeah. When you sent the picture, I, I thought it was a very nice watch. And it would make a fantastic daily. I checked the MSRP on these and they're, I think just around a thousand dollars. But, but you are getting a, I believe it's a modified Eta or Salita movement. Um, I'm not a hundred percent sure, but it, it was a nice piece. Like I love the hands. I, I like the dial. It's definitely something I could justify as a daily. Um, and to someone like him, he's not, he's not a huge watch guy. So, but it, it means a lot. It was gifted to him. Um, and I think that if for that purpose, it, it, it works perfectly, but that's an example of something that you can, if you are looking for a daily and, and you come across that, you like the way it looks, buy it, wear it every day. It's a nice piece on the wrist conversation point, And that sort of checks off some boxes for me. Yeah. Not, not everything will be super calculated. Sometimes mm -hmm. you just see a watch and you just fall in love with it. And Hey, yeah. that's the one you want to get. Of and course. You go for it. Right. Yeah. But yeah. Thoughts on Mikey, your thoughts on the uh glycine. I know you're staring or at it. Or homage pieces in general. Nothing. This isn't a, this is not an homage bagel piece. Sport. Bagel sport. I love me some bagel sport. Why don't you guys tell the, the listeners about what bagel sport is? Honestly, I don't know. It's just it's like a full Rolex. Let me let me put it this way. Okay. You tell us. Daytona, seventy dollars. Great. <laughs> so it, it is a seventy dollar Daytona homage, and it's called a bagel sport. Yeah. It's That's a ba it just, it's spelt. when you look them up, it, it, it's got a little crown too, not the same crown of course, because then they're stepping on the oh Rolex's toes. There, but they're pretty no, much no goss bagel sport. They're Ooh. pretty much copies. They're Ooh. pretty much copies. And are these like actually refined homages, or are they they're just like crap? They're seventy bucks, man. If you go on forums, there are people justifying these watches. Yeah. And like they go in and say like how good of a movement it is you know what? Well, what is it an automatic? Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're automatic. What's what's with the thunder uh, bolt or bolt of lightning second hand on this Milgoss? Milgoss has that. Yeah, it actually. Yeah, yeah. I did not know. Huh? So this is a full on like this is a no, 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 a like replica. Exact. They're like clones. Yeah. Oh. I would say like a clone. Good spelling. Milgoss. Yeah. Oh, I did not know it had that. Yeah. Funny enough, our friend has one, and I've never paid attention well, to it. But I think it's, it's not a bagel sport. He's got, no, no he's, not a bagel he's got sport. Three, three Rolexes and doesn't wear any. I, I actually really do uh, like shame. the Milgaz, though. I think that is a, cool. a fantastic little piece. Um, that and the Explorer are, are my two favorite like rugged Rolexes. Uh, very, very cool. Um, 
actually, I say that and I really like the sub. For someone like me who shat on Rolex for like the last 30 minutes, I actually really do like a lot of their watches. They are really nice pieces. Yeah, the Explorer too. Give me a Sea Dweller. Yeah, yeah. Even Sky Dweller, I think, is, is a really cool piece. I but love then the Sky Dweller. Then you're like... <laughs> yeah, that's it. This isn't. these aren't watches that we're going to go and buy tomorrow. No, yeah, these are... But, uh, yeah, they're... Hot, they're, hot they're cool nonetheless. Yeah. Actually, would it even be considered hot horology? I don't, no. I don't know. No, it's they're just luxury no. pieces. Yeah, hot horology is reserved for like bagel sport, maybe. Yeah, bagel sports up there. I'm like, just waiting for Hodinky like to start sports. selling bagel sports. I really want to order one. I know. I just want to see how it is. That yeah. that would be the thing, just to see what you're getting for that seventy dollars. I don't know what. So it's just interesting. People who are who are hyping this up in forums for for what purpose? What is the what are they? They're saying some people are. I mean, when you go on forums, you know, you have people from all over, but. Some people are just like, you know, why am I going to spend thousands of dollars on this Rolex when I get something that looks the same and performs? But that's the kind of person... I'm not going to go there because you can just go back and yeah. forth all day with that. But that's essentially what people will go, what what uh, he was saying about that. But that's the kind of person that I would say, well, guess what? Then don't argue watches. If that's the way that you want to go about things, that's fine. You can buy whatever you want. But don't argue watches. Don't even make a comment in a forum post because you know that you're talking to people who don't like clones or replicas. At the end of the day, if you if you don't have the moral fiber to not buy a replica piece, like homage is one thing, right? I, there's only so many different ways you can design a, a dial. So if they want to make one that borrows aspects from, you're you're fired up here. Uh, I'm saying don't, don't base don't base a company lightly. off of homage pieces. I'm sorry, but I will. Well, when when some companies no, are saying only homage that's pieces, what I, then yeah. I'm saying don't base like don't make a company that only sells homage. But if you need to fill your ranks with with watches people will buy, then you might have to make some homage pieces because they're good looking. And by homage, I mean a what? What's the matter? What are you What are you laughing at? <laughs> this comment. So I went on a bagel sport forum, and the guy said my local bakery only has 90 millimeter bagels. Don't know if they're any good for sports. <laughs> so uh, these the are the bagel, comments. The you'll bagel see. sport forums are a are a funny po uh, funny place. But yeah, no, it's a. But the homage pieces, I get it. Some of those companies use it to get off the ground, mm-hmm. in mm-hmm. a sense, right? Um, I think it's a cop out. It it is, but if they're trying to do a business, I mean, try it out. If you have a company, but it, it, it is in a sense. You know, you're pretty. Much just Tissot makes homage pieces. Uh, Seiko makes homage pieces. A, like any big company who sells watches by the millions to millions of people. They they have to they they're just pumping out credit right, you know but you can't say that a company to get off like what you said to get off their feet makes homage pieces look at look at Ming they That's, have a fantastic design mm-hmm. incredible designers I also they, think though that Ming they 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 spent years being watch collectors the people who are making homage pieces are probably just people who are doing this as a, as a business yeah, for yeah. Business. exactly and that, that for for me that's why I don't like it is because it, you lose all of that yeah yeah. And so that that's why no one should spend a thousand dollars on a homage piece. It should be like your, you know, the one you beat around when w- w- full knowing that this is, you know, this is I wear because it, it tells time and it's good and clink clink it on the. I like the way it looks and I can clunk it around. Some people make that decision, but uh, I, we can again we can go on forever and we'll never arrive at a thing talking about. I, I think fakes are disgusting. Homage pieces. Well, that's what that's depends what I on think the. We're, we're kind of alluding to right. Homages mm-hmm. sometimes are just thinly veiled, fakes, clones. But they aren't fakes. Stuff. They're just, they're not they're blatant like yeah. 
copies so they're rebranding like i don't know yeah no mm-hmm. exactly i get it it's not a fake as in the sense it's not saying yeah we're because there are, there are rolex out there that mm-hmm. are brands themselves as rolex yeah and they sell That's for true. three four five hundred dollars um no and then there are fakes that will sell for multiple thousands of dollars yeah. that people will buy I think one that because that's ETA all they get their hands on. They'll have ETA movements yeah. in them. They're really good movements. It's just defeats the whole purpose yeah. for me. Exactly. You're exactly. not getting the same thing. And uh and you know, I think uh I think we've sort of beat this uh this dead no. horse. Common saying on time lapse, no. but uh but with that, um I think we're gonna end it for today. I want to extend a, a very warm thank you. I think Eric's a little confused as to why I'm dreading what you Eric, just said. I say beat beat a dead horse a lot. Yeah, uh, but I anyway, thank I you for interrupting my sentimental thank you, you dick. Anyway, uh, I want to extend a warm time-lapse thank you to you, uh, Eric. Thank you for being on our show and being our first guest breaking history here. I hope you thank had a you good time. Thank you guys for having on, me. On the 21st oh, episode. The 21st, man. See that? 21 years 21 episodes young. <laughs> We've been doing this for 21, 21 years. 21 years, brother. Uh, but no, yeah, thank you again. Your insights were fantastic. I think you have a future in radio broadcasting. Why, thank you. And uh, I, I'm going to take this mic away from Anthony. I'd like to make a formal apology for the, the quality of this sound. Uh, next time we do have a guest, we will have three mics. It will be better. Anything sure. else? Well, I mean, I'll just say thank you guys for having me. Hey. It was great enjoyable um, uh, and hopefully you guys will have me back again yeah next three so, mics so so next next time we'll have eric with three mics and three bagel sports three bagel sports i'll be spending under 500 dollars for three Damn. i can have my daytona sub and date just value <laughs> proposition um but that's all we have today uh you know you know you guys know where to find us on instagram at timelapse podcast on soundcloud you can just search timelapse podcast if you want uh itunes google play music we're everywhere for the android friends twitter you follow us on twitter eric it's okay nobody no does, does except for vic shout out to vic, shout out vic. we'll have some f1 talk next say, time for gonna, you i was i was gonna say i was gonna be the first but i guess i'll be the second on yeah, twitter there you go second's the best first the worst third is the one with the golden bagel sport <laughs> <laughs> and we'll end it there thanks for listening